A different kind of Gesundheit with Jacobus this Saturday morning. Dave Wooten of the XL Country Radio Station will be my guest as we talk about a book he has written called Crazy Horse, Where My Dad Lie Buried. Dave wrote this historical fiction about life in this Montana territory about 150 years ago. Yes, it will be different, but oh so interesting. It's Gesundheit with Jacobus. Gesundheit with Jacobus, Health Talk Radio, integrating allopathic and all natural medicine one show at a time. Here is your host, Jacobus Hollowine. Ah, that's right. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. I so appreciate you with me today. It will be indeed, as I mentioned in the promo, a slightly different show because we're not really going to talk with a doctor or an expert today about health, healing, and healthy lifestyles. I'm going to be talking with Dave Wooten. So good morning, everybody. And as we're going to have this great conversation, I'm so looking forward to this. I I do hope that my regular listeners are tuning in today as well and that they don't say, well, it's not going to be per se about health. I think that you're going to find that there are going to be elements that will be discussed that are very heartwarming and and touch more on a, a spirituality that is not often discussed anymore in our society. And talking about the Native American cultures, in this case, the Lakotas, uh, Crazy Horse. It, it, it's, it's a fascinating story. I read Dave's book, and uh, I, I, yeah, I'm just really impressed. So uh, let me tell you a little bit about my guest, Dave Wooten. Many of you who are regular listeners to the radio station know Dave, and he's been in Bozeman for about five or six years. Uh, Dave Wooten is the current host of the 100.7 XL Country Morning Show right here at Town Square Media on Bozeman. Before his historical fiction book on Crazy Horse, he wrote three other books, including a history guide book on the history of Sheridan, Wyoming, which is the area where Crazy Horse spent much of his life. In the summers, Dave gives historical tours of the lands of Crazy Horse, which gives people the opportunity of actually walking in the footsteps of Crazy Horse. Uh, Dave Wooden, you can find information when you go to the website. It's called crazyhorsetours.com, crazyhorsetours.com. And you find some neat little things and stories and uh, some videos over there as well. To get in touch with the Crazy Horse Tours and Dave Wooden in this case would be 406 209 9945 Four five, Dave. Absolute pleasure to have you in the studio. Good morning. Thanks for having me, Jacobus. Yes, I, I appreciate this. I know that uh, it's uncomfortable for you to sit on that side. <laughs> it's very different. You're the one who touches the buttons and uh, tells people where to go. And uh, this time, you're my guest, and I just so appreciate it. When when you and I were talking 
probably more than a year and a half ago, and you were telling me you were writing this book. And I said right away, if you write the book, I want you on the show. And I'm so glad that you accepted it a year and a half later and said, yeah, we're going to do this. Yeah, no, I've been looking forward to it. It's funny when you said, hey, I want you on the show. I said, yeah, I'll come on for a half hour. Sure. <laughs> He's like, no, three hours. I'm like, you want me to talk for three hours on Crazy Horse? He's yeah. like, yeah, it'll be great. So, yeah, uh, yeah I, I appreciate every every minute. And I listen to your show every Saturday. Oh, thank you. I Typically, wow. I'm working on a Saturday. This yeah. weekend, I, I didn't have to. But when I'm coming into the radio station and getting ready, to head out for my stuff my live broadcast i always have you on i, I well, find it fascinating awesome. in Thank fact you. since we're talking about it i would like to say um i appreciate what you do and i think your audience should know you you work hard for this three hours every saturday you put a lot of time you put a lot of effort into it not everybody does that not yeah. i mean especially as long as you've been doing it it would be easy to be like well i'm gonna have dave on I'll roll in and uh, we'll just talk. And no. you don't do that. No. And I think uh, I, I think it's a it's a credit to you because like I've been in this business for a long time. Not everybody does that, and I oh, certainly appreciate. it. I think it shows too. That's I like I said. I listen every Saturday. Oh, thank you very much. I appreciate that. So I've been July will be eighteen years. Is that right? Yeah, mm-hmm. Man, that's amazing. And I don't have the training that you have, and uh, so I when when Chuck, my engineer, left, I had to learn how to kind of push these buttons. And my wife said, you're good at pushing people's buttons. Said, no, 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 no. It's, <laughs> Different it's kind. the board buttons. It's not, yeah. uh, no, and yeah. in this business, 18 years, that's, it's like dog years. Yeah. You know, that's like 100 years in regular life. And, you know, never had a raise <laughs> in all these 18 years. <laughs> that's should, about right. I should talk to Scott and say, hey, how about it? You know, shall I get a raise? And he'll probably say, a raise from what? From zero? You know? So it's, uh, it's probably not going to happen. Um, an absolute joy to, to read your book, Dave. Um, I have a few copies over at the Gesundheit Nutrition Center. I was hoping that Dave would, uh, would have a chance to come this afternoon and meet some of you and sign some books, And uh, but he said he ran out of the books already. I he did. sold what he had, so I'm so happy for you. I've got more coming, yeah, but I, I didn't realize that when you first sent me, because that was a great idea. I would have loved to have came yeah. over after the show, uh, but yeah, we're, we've got another shipment coming in here. So Yeah, that's great. I highly recommend uh, people check it out. Where can they get books? Uh, you can get it on Amazon right now, Amazon.com. Uh-huh. Um, just put in Crazy Horse where my dad lie buried. You can also, if you go to CrazyHorseTours.com, there's a page about the book, and you can order it directly from there as well. It, it's coming to bookstores soon. Yeah. Uh, right now, it's just on Amazon. And I have to tell you that it must be a complete labor of love because of all the time you've spent, and we're going to talk about this as we go. But this book is about 250-plus pages, and it sells for $16.95. And I think that is absolutely a very, very reasonable price. Should I change the price? Should I make it more expensive? I think uh, <laughs> I would expect it to be twenty four ninety five or something like that. It's definitely, definitely a, a wonderful book. Next time, I highly recommend you put some photos in. <laughs> yeah, you're telling me that. A map, a map about, you know, I am, I need to understand something visually. I, the book gives me a chance of visualization. I've had the luck of talking with you a little bit and you giving me more insights behind the scenes uh, from all the research that you have done over the years, 10, 15 years of research on these kind of topics that uh, gives you so much wealth of information. You take people on the tours. You're telling me just now you're going to go back tomorrow to the Little Bighorn, do another tour with people. So you're visualizing what exactly happened. I think that you do an incredible job describing the 
the area, what happens, what, how you can visualize it. And I think that if, if I will take a chance to come with you on one of these tours, that I will even see the book, understand the book more deeply because of the vastness of the plains and, and, and the area where he was moving on, living on, uh, how as nomads the natives were moving, that you have a better visualization. Here's where the horses were running. Here's where the buffalo would come. Here, that, I think that visualizing really helps. Absolutely. Um, still to this day, I've, I've probably been to the Little Bighorn I don't know, three dozen times wow. maybe, uh, and driven by it even more, um, making that trip from Bozeman to Sheridan. Uh, every time I go out there, I learn something new. Really? Um, because, again, about visual, it's hard. That battle to visualize, there's so many moving pieces, and even though it's not a, a large battlefield, uh, it's tough to visualize, to know, uh, wait a minute, where where was Custer, where was Crazy Horse, right. and all these people. So every time I go out there, I learn something new. I'm like, oh, mm. even though I, I mean, I've read about this stuff for 10 years, uh, and you're, you're trying to visualize it as you go along, but then you get out there and you're like, okay, now I get it. So that, that is a, it's an important part to be mm-hmm. able to visualize it. Um, and I, I, I tried in the book to, to bring that. Uh, and I, I think, yeah, map would have been, that's a, that's a great idea. Yeah. Just a thought. Sure. You know, and, and I did, uh, the, the nice thing with modern technology folks is that you can go on Google and you can actually look some up these names. And, uh, the interesting thing with crazy horse, uh, tell us about, uh, the photos of crazy horse. Well, uh, there's a kind of a controversy right now going on is there, there's a, there's a photograph out there that purports to be crazy horse. Is it this one? Um, no, that is not the photo. That's uh-huh. interesting. Um, no, that's not the photo. There's a photo. If you go out to the Little Bighorn, um, there's a museum there at Gary Owen. Uh, it's the Custer Battlefield Museum. And they have a, a tintype. They have the original tintype. Uh, but they sell it on a little, like a postcard for a dollar. Tintype? Uh, ten, that? that was, you know, back in the old days when they shot oh, a, uh, okay. when they made yeah, a picture, sure. they put it on a tintype. Okay, yes. Maybe you've seen the one of uh, Billy the Kid. Yes. Uh, and yeah. so they, they have the original, apparently, uh, but they, they sell it on a postcard for like a dollar, and they purport that that is the... Uh, that's the picture of Crazy Horse. Now, most historians do not believe he ever had his picture taken. And in fact, he was very adamant about not getting his picture taken. He thought it would take his soul away. Oh, wow. So he didn't want his picture taken. Huh. Many Indians did, um, as you see if you yeah, Google. It's amazing. Uh, but the, yeah, so, but there's a whole new book. I just found out in the last couple of weeks there's a new book coming out that's an entire book about whether this picture is Crazy Horse or not. Is that right? Uh, so, yeah, so there's a big debate going on. Um, most historians do not think it's Crazy Horse, but there's some people out there that, mm-hmm. that do think it's Crazy Horse. I guess huh. you can look at it and make your own, de- you know, determination on that. I, I feel is like it there's a full full body or is it a yeah. picture? Because it's a one full thing body. we were talking about just earlier that uh, he was shot he, when he stole somebody's wife, kind of stole. How that went, you can explain that later. Um, they he got shot in the face. He did at point and blank range. That's amazing that he didn't die with that bullet, but it went through his lip. Or Almost something. killed. Yeah, went through his left lip, his kind of his just below his nostril, yeah. and uh, went down kind of like uh, alongside of his teeth, and and came out you know the back by his jaw. But he had a prominent scar um, through the rest of his life. And when you look at that picture that they purport to be Crazy Horse, there is not a prominent scar. Now they they say that it's there. 
but I don't see it, and a lot of other people don't see it as well. Yeah, I don't see it on this picture. But then again, it could also be that the picture is reversed. Could be, yeah. That's right, because his right side looks a little bit in the shadow. Um, but I would uh, think, again, like with this, pro- it's prominent. You know, everybody that described it said it was prominent on him that you would easily be able to pick it out if you saw a picture of him. Yeah. And and I don't see that on there. There's also some other things with this photo, too. Um, the the person in this picture is wearing a breastplate. And so, uh, according to experts, that breastplate did not come into, it would have been after his death. Um, it was it was a later version of breastplates, not the early ones. But this one that's, doesn't. I, does it? That says that's Crazy Horse. It says it was Crazy Horse. Um, yeah. yeah, I haven't. I haven't. I've never even seen that photo. I, I have uh, no idea who that is. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the the one that I'm talking about that that kind of gets circulated the most. Um, a lot of people think that it's an Indian called No Neck, uh, and uh, other people think that it's a picture of uh, one of the Indians that was in uh, Wild Bill's wild west show yes because it kind of looks kind of staged uh yeah exactly Uh, and where he you know when he went to the reservation in 1877 at camp robinson you know i've never seen any photographs that they had a studio there yes uh so you would think that that background would have showed up in some other pictures of other indians yes and he never left the reservation he did not go to uh make any trips back east to washington like many of the indians did to meet with the you know the, the president. president, so you know he didn't get his pictures taken there either. So the Great Father, the Great Father is what—that's uh, what the whites called him, the yeah. Great Father. Oh, the, the whites called him the, that. Yeah. Well, I mean, the Indians called him that too, but that's how they—they they kind of introduced they, each other. Yeah, because I mean, the Indians didn't know what a president. You know, what's a president, right? So what they does that mean? Yeah, refer right. to him as the Great Father. Yeah. What motivated you, Dave, to write to come even come up with this book? Why? Why Crazy Horse and why not, let's say, Sitting Bull? Or uh, I, I understand from your, your presentation you did a few weeks ago where you signed books. Somebody asked you that question if you were maybe going to write. You said, I want to write another book. And somebody said, would you like to write a book about Sitting Bull? would be really interesting. And you said, I'm looking more into maybe writing about Custer. Yeah. Uh, why uh, why um, Crazy Horse? Um, well, because... Crazy Horse because I lived in Sheridan, Wyoming. Yeah. And as you mentioned in my bio there, I did a book on Sheridan. Um, it's kind of a history guide book talking about historical places to see around Sheridan, Wyoming. And that's where Crazy Horse lived through much of his life. When I when I moved to I moved to Sheridan back in 2005, and I've always been a student of the Old West. I've loved the Old West. I grew up watching westerns with my dad. You know, yeah. big John Wayne fan. Mm-hmm. Me too. And yeah. I, I just the old. I love the Old West. The Indian culture, the Indian part of the Old West, did not interest me in the least. Mm-hmm. I, I never thought I would write a book about you know Indians. And when I got to Sheridan, yeah, interesting. Uh, there interesting. was a book uh, from Sam Morton. Sam Morton wrote a book, and it happened to come out just as I got there, called Where the Rivers Run North. And basically, it was historical fiction about the history of the Sheridan area. And the way he does his book, he weaves Crazy Horse through this history, okay. because that's where Crazy Horse lived. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was just, I was fascinated. I'm like, Crazy Horse lived here. I didn't know that when yeah. I moved here. Mm-hmm. And... I, reading his book, you know, and learning about Crazy Horse, I well, what a fascinating story. Here was, uh, you know, I, I, I'd heard the name Crazy Horse. I knew they were carving his image, you know, into the mountains there in the Black Hills. Which means a lot. Uh, which I'm sure we'll <laughs> talk about at some point today, too, yeah. yeah. Uh, and 
I, I just, I can't, I couldn't get enough. Like I, I was interested in crazy horse. And as I learned more about crazy horse, obviously I learned more about the Lakota Indians mm-hmm. and the fact I was living right where they lived. I, mm-hmm. you know, my house that I lived in Sheridan may have, he may have stood right there. Yes. And that yes. fascinated wow. me. Yes. And so I kept reading all of these books mm-hmm. and at some point I'm like, you know what? I, this is what I want my next book to be about. And and there's a if you if there's a book called The Killer Angels. Michael Shara wrote The Killer Angels. It's about Gettysburg. Okay. And it's a great book. And if at the beginning of the book he talks about why he wrote that book and he said basically I, I wanna I wanna know what happened here by writing a book about it. And that's really why I wrote the Crazy Horse book. I wanted to find out more about him. I wanted to live his life and and just be immersed in it. And mm. that's that's how it all came about. Let's give a few facts to give people an idea. About, I mean, we're going to talk about a lot of facts, uh, but facts, Crazy Horse. I was stunned when you described Crazy Horse to me because he is known as the biggest warrior from the Lakota in Lakota history who ever lived. That's how they describe him, right? Yeah. The great warrior leader. Yeah. And when you say biggest, not necessarily big in stature. He he was a small guy. He's considered the greatest Lakota warrior ever. Yet, if you put him in a group of warriors, you'd probably he'd probably be the last one picked. Interesting. Huh? You know, you talk about uh, I don't know. You pick play pickup basketball on a weekend, right? And people would be like, "I'll take that guy. I'll take that guy. I'll take that guy." Yeah, he'd have been the last one picked. Yeah. Yet he was he would have been the best player on the court. Yeah. <laughs> so same way, warrior like. You'd look at a group of Indians and think, okay, I want that guy. He's really big, got a lot of muscles, looks pretty fierce. Yes. Um, Crazy Horse was the last guy you would have picked. He was he was about probably between five five and five seven, five eight, not a big guy. Unreal. About 140 pounds. Yes. You know, really small. Yes. Uh, and unassuming. Very mm-hmm. unassuming. Mm-hmm. But fierce. On the battlefield, fierce, brave. He was the guy, the crows would say about him, we knew him better than the Lakota because he was always out in front. He was the <laughs> yeah. closest to us when yeah. we were fighting. Yeah. Um, a very brave, you know, very brave man. And he was, he was different. He, he had very light skin. Yes. That was so interesting too. Uh, he, you know, small, light skin. He had curly hair. Most Indians had very straight hair. That's so, why I'm wondering if this picture is right that I showed you because even though it's a black and white picture, to me, his hair doesn't look that light. Now, of course, he died at the age of 37. That Indian looks older than 37, too. Doesn't he? Don't you think he... If I look at the picture of Sitting Bull, he only was, was 59 <laughs> when he died. He looks like he's my grandpa. <laughs> yeah, the other picture we were talking about of, cra- of purportedly a crazy horse, the, uh, I, I think that the Lakota Indian in that looks really young, too. Okay. He would have been younger than him. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he had light very skin. light skin, curly, uh, hair. curly hair. They called him Curly. And they called him Curly early in his life when he was a kid. And you can imagine growing up, I he was kind of shunned a little bit as a kid. Um, you know, he, he, he wasn't in the main group. Uh, and so I, he, I, I think as maybe, uh, his, his way of fighting back was to, you know, become a, a, a great warrior, a great fighter. Yeah. Uh, and he, he didn't want to be accepted. You know, he, he kind of did his own thing. He was a loner. He was a loner when he, when they rode, uh, you know, when they moved villages, he rode by himself. He didn't ride with the others. He kind of rode off to the side in the, in the council lodge. He would sit in the back of the lodge. He didn't yes. sit at the front, even though he was, the, he was one of the leaders. Yes. He, he sat in the back and listened. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
that was just his personality. Yes. So again, not most. I would think most warriors, a, a fierce warrior, would be you know at the front. He'd totally. be talking a lot. Yes. You know. Now, did all the warriors? Uh, well, there was there is a quote that you mentioned of several times. They were shirt wearers. They wore a shirt. What was the significance of that? The shirt wearers was like an honor bestowed upon a great warrior because he was the. F- he was the fifth to ever get it, or the the the, the first something. He I wasn't know. the first. It was a it was a tradition that they did. He was the last one to have one. Oh, the last one. Yeah. Okay. And you mentioned earlier he had run off with a another man's wife. Yes. Which, when we get into that, we'll explain further. But he was actually stripped of his shirt wearer status because in of that, that incident. Yeah. Okay. But but the these were warriors. The uh, the shirt wear was was kind of an it was an honor and they would give you a special shirt to wear and the whole idea behind it was you were you were supposed to look out for the well-being of the village okay okay you were a, a warrior in high esteem who was you were supposed to put the honor your honor first and the honor of the village always came first before your needs mm-hmm. and this they didn't think he did when he ran off with another man's wife. I see. Now, I guess since we're talking about How it, we times well, have changed. We'll get it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, you know, in Lakota culture, the only thing you needed to do for a divorce would be to, you know, sit. The, the woman owned the lodge. If she sat, uh, take took all of the warrior's, you know, belongings out and put it out in front of the lodge, that was considered a divorce. Yeah. Wow, well, that's so fascinating. Yeah, times have changed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> These days, they put doing commercials. What is that commercial about uh, the TV satellite or Spectrum TV? Yeah, she's throwing, throwing it out the window, right? Out the window. That and was a like, divorce. Oh, no, no. All right. Well, Dave Wooten is my guest today in Gazuntait with Jacobus. We're talking about his latest book. It's called Crazy Horse, Where My Dead Lie Buried. Uh, considered the, the, the most amazing warrior that the Lakota ever had. Uh, We're going to take a short break. Stay put, please. We will be right back. I don't know if you're like this, but when I go to a place, obviously I'm into history, and when I go to these different historical places, I always want to know, okay, this is what it looks like today, but what is here today that was here then? Yes. That's why I I wrote a book, um, which was kind of the precursor to this. I did a history guidebook on the area of Sheridan, Wyoming. Mm -hmm. Because when I moved there, I didn't realize all this stuff took place in Sheridan because I kept going, that's here? I didn't know know that was here. You know, I'd read about it and knew it, but I guess I never really put it together. And so I I did that so often that I decided to do this book, and it's called 25 Historical Places to Visit. Oh, actually, it's called That's Here. 25 historical places to visit in and around Sheridan, Wyoming, because yeah. I kept going, wow, that's here. And so Crazy Horse was there. And so I like to know, part of the book is telling you what is there today that was there then. Because that's mm-hmm. what I, you know, I want to know, mm-hmm. did, did he stand right here? Mm-hmm. Did he touch that? Was that tree there? Was that rock there? Yes. Because that connects us yes. to the history of it. Yes, Totally. Which I do here, you know, in Bozeman, too. You know, there's a, every time I walk by it in downtown Bozeman, there's a building that, that's here from, the, it's the oldest building in downtown. It's over there by Union Bank. It's the one next, Bozeman Running Company is right there. Okay. That that building dates back to the 1890s. Mm. And, you know, I, I think, like, like, imagine all the people that, you know, our forefathers here in Bozeman walked by that yes. building and walked into that building. And it's still here today amongst all of this 
you know, new stuff. It is, even when you think about how many Chinese used to be here in Bozeman. Oh, a, a yeah, lot. Unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, you, you go like, where did they go? You know, yeah. It moved on, but uh, there those is were interesting a- times. And I know uh, both you and I uh, looked at uh, Hell on Wheels. I think you looked at Hell on Wheels too. Did you watch that series? I did Hell not. Hell on Wheels. No. Oh, okay. I thought you did, but we did watch Longmire. Lo- love Longmire. Longmire is a great, uh, great show. I don't even know if you were the ones who told me about uh, one who told me about Longmire. We I watched think I did. On Wheels, and then I um, when when you're done with Netflix on Hell on Wheels, which is the laying down of the railroad uh, from wherever it started all the way to the coast and and everything that came with it. Great, great show. If people want to understand a little bit more about how that went, Netflix uh, Hell on Wheels. So don't think it is a motorcycle gang. <laughs> this is literally about building the railroad and uh, in in the days after the Civil War. How many Chinese were involved in laying down the railroad? It's amazing. Right over here behind the R-bar in the alleyway, yeah. there is a, a building that looks like it's kind of falling down, which mm-hmm. I believe was it was, a, it was an old brothel. Yes. And it was tight. Uh, There's some sort of, I think, Chinese connection to that yes, building as right. well. Uh, but it's right there. It's still in the alleyway, and it's still here today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you wouldn't know it. Most people probably drive by it in the alleyway and have no idea. <laughs> There's so much history here. I love it. This book... Crazy Horse, Where My Dead Lie Buried. And, and folks, uh, as Dave said, it is available on Amazon. Does uh, uh, Country Bookshelf carry it? No, hopefully soon. Hopefully yeah. soon. How about Barnes & Noble? It, coming soon, yeah. Coming soon. So yeah. the only other place is Gesundheit Nutrition Center yeah. right now. There's a couple. Is that right? Yeah, I still have a couple copies at the Next counter. Next to the Lysine? No. <laughs> <laughs> Next to the onion powder. Oh, is that- between the onion powder and the protein powder, you'll find my book. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Oh, boy. But um, how long did it take you to write the book? Uh, you know, well, to complete the project, it took about 10 years. I, I wrote the book rather, you know, it, it took about four years to write it for me. And then I've been editing it and, and you know, rewriting it for a number of years. And, you know, in that time period, I, I moved a couple of times. I had new jobs. Yeah. I uh, I had a son. <laughs> yes, you do. I got married. I, I yeah, life really got in the way there. So it, that's why it took so long. Even though I worked on it, I'm, I'm, most days I worked on it at some point. But you know, I was stealing fifteen twenty minutes here. Is that uh, right? To put it all together. So I really want to hear about Crazy Horse and and share with the listeners. But I do want to ask you to write a book. Where does it start? I mean, obviously, you need to have motivation. Uh, were you, when you were younger, did you write articles? Did you write for a sh- school newspaper like I used to do? Uh, w- what was it all of a sudden that you decided to write, and how do you go about something like that? Did you did you go on the internet and say, how do I start writing a book? Did you talk to writers and say, how do you guys start this? Um, what uh, What exactly caused that? Well, you know, it's funny. Uh, my English teachers, I'm sure, jaws fell to the ground. Dave wrote a book. Yeah, because <laughs> I was not the best student. Yeah. when I was in high school, most of my uh, studying and knowledge came after I graduated. Uh, so I did not write at all when I was yeah when I was in school. It's funny. I I was a tour guide at Universal Studios. Yes, and during our training period for that, uh, we were I was standing outside the Woody Woodpecker Theater at Universal. Okay. And we we went into the theater and they were you know we were getting to know each other our our tour class 
And they were going around, you know, everybody asking, what do you want to do? Well, it was Hollywood, Mm -hmm. and 90% of the people wanted to act. I'm an actor. I'm an actor. And this one person said, I want to write. And I don't know what it was, but a light bulb went off, and I went, that's what I want to do. Even though I had no – I mean, I had never written anything, but it clicked. I said, I want to write. I want to do that. Yeah. And it changed my life. Sometimes I wonder, like, what would I be doing today – had I not that light not gone off, because you know, even though I've done radio to pay the bills, you know, for thirty years um, behind the scenes, I've been I've been writing, you know, I've written other books and and things yeah. like that. But it all started right then with that. So I, I began writing <laughs> TV sitcoms, yeah. and one hour dramas, and you know, I wrote a screenplay, which I actually turned into my first book, really, as a western. Yeah, I wrote a western. It was a movie. And I, I turned it into a, a book when uh, it was obvious that they, it wasn't going to sell as a movie. Uh, but that, that's where it all started um, wow. for me is when I worked in Hollywood. Very interesting. And I deliver. I worked on TV shows. So I delivered scripts. Okay. Um, on different te- like Matlock or Andy yeah, Griffith. Yeah, 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 of yeah, course, I, yeah. I worked on that mm-hmm. uh, delivering scripts. So I was around it, and I, I wanted to. I wanted to write originally for TV shows, mm-hmm. and I had a script sold for Lassie. Oh wow! This was the re. This was the. I the mean, there re- was the, the original Lassie, yeah, sure. the black and white days. Yes. And then in the uh, in the early nineties, there was they had brought it back on cable uh, for Lassie, and I had sold a script, and then they got canceled, and so it it didn't have. I thought that was going to be my you know my big break, and oh, so then I, I transitioned from really writing for TV, and that's when I started writing books. Yeah. And so what this a process was my fourth. Uh, yeah, writing a book, it's interesting. It's, um, I don't, for me, it, it's not hard to sit down. I'm not very good at it. Like Are you a, a speed reader? Because you have to no. read it so many times. No, that's why it, take, it took me 10 years. That's why it, it yeah, takes I know, a but while. You, you know? have had, you, how many times did you have to read your book itself to make corrections and make adjustments? Oh, uh, you know, probably 50 uh, times. No way. Yeah, I've read, yeah, I probably easily. Wow. Yeah, I've gone over and over that, and you know, because you mentioned doing the signing, or the 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 book signing, you you mentioned that uh, uh, this book, two hundred fifty pages, is about a hundred thousand words. Yeah, and and then you mentioned that uh, you were talking about some other books, like the Iliad and some of the other ones that have like what three hundred thousand or oh, a million yeah, words. Look or at something. a Stephen King novel. Yes. Now Stephen King, as you know. He's got people that are actually going. He yeah, he does he started, a draft. He started writing absolutely. Himself, so yeah, that's unbelievable to read that through all the time to find out any mistakes, anything that you want to adjust. And yet, there's still things that pop up. It's like, how did I miss that? But yeah, you know, they're there. But, We're human. But is it now that when when the book is done? Do you feel, because you mentioned doing the signing again, sorry, I mentioned the signing a few times, folks. And by the way, 5228255, Dave Wooten, my guest, uh, the book Crazy Horse, Where My Dead Lie Buried, a wonderful, wonderful book, about 250 pages. It's a great read. Once you get going, it's really hard to put it down. It really is. You mentioned that you told your wife, I'm done. I'm done. I got it done. And then day later, you're sitting behind the typewriter again, and she says, what are you doing? She says, eh, I thought of something else. <laughs> when, when is it done? Because the history is so broad, so vast, that we can dip our pen into, so to say. What, when do you say it's got to be done right now? Well, I mean, at some point, you've got to cut the cord, right? Yeah. So eventually I did. But, you, you know, 
this is the tough part for me for being a writer. It's you know some people have a hard time sitting down and and doing it, right? Some people have a hard time being alone and doing it. My part, I'm a perfectionist by nature, yeah, which makes it very difficult because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. you know I want it to be perfect, and yes. it's never going to be perfect. You know that life's not perfect. That's why you know that's what I struggle with. Uh, but eventually, I, I had to cut the cord. But I would. I, I'm done. Yes. And then I'm like, ah, yeah. oh, you know what? I just let me rewrite that one thing. Yes. You know, let me. Let is me it go a in there one sentence? Is it something that you that you've been reading that you want to add in to give it a little bit more effect or to give it a little bit more detail? Like maybe I didn't write this down. Maybe people cannot visualize this correctly. What What is it that makes that process work? It, well, for me personally, it's it's to it's to make the writing better. You know, I want the writing to be better. I, you know, I want to write like Steinbeck, but I don't have that ability, Mm. but I still strive for it. Mm -hmm. And so it, it, you know, I, I, I would like to, I would like to rewrite it sitting here right now. Is that right? You know, yeah. I mean, it's to me, it's not Not a whole lot though, because it gives a good picture. You know, again, it's like, I, I know, I know the warts, right? I see the warts. I see the, the imperfections, Mm -hmm. you know, that's where my. You know, I walk in a room and I immediately see the things that are askew. You know, other people don't do that yes. necessarily. That's yes. just that's just who I am. Yeah. And so that that part is tough for me. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why sometimes I wish I'd have been a songwriter. You can, you know, it'd be easy to rewrite a song, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, just a few paragraphs. Yeah, sure. But when you're talking a hundred thousand words, yeah, yeah, it takes a long time. <laughs> a little different. If you're going to go from front to back, uh-huh. and then you know, I, I'm in radio. I, I have a radio show. And I, I work about 60 hours, 50 to 60 hours a week. So, yes, and I, you know, I've got a son and, you know, I, I've, I've got a life. Yes. And so it's, uh, that part's, it, it's hard to find the time and carve it out. Yes, it is. But that's why I do, you know, I, I write just about every day. Wow. Uh, but again, it's, you know, sometimes it's, I get a couple hours, but other times it's, you know, 15 or 20 minutes here or there. Mm, very interesting. So you should write a book. Yeah, I've been told that, but I don't know. I have a feeling that uh, whatever I am going to write about has already been written about. Even though I feel, as I talk to people lately, I have learned from my guests on the radio show and from the customers I talk to, I have learned so much that bit by bit I start putting pieces together about health concepts that to me, all of a sudden, now I get it, and I'm trying to share that with customers when they come in and even over here on the radio show i try to explain what i get and i sometimes i think yes i should write about that but maybe i should write more articles i've written articles that i think are pretty good but book boy i don't know everybody can write a book right i mean everybody has something to say i think everybody has a story in them yes you know writing the book that's another whole nother thing. Yes. But everybody has a story, I, I think, to tell. And, you know, you say, well, maybe it's already been done. I mean, this isn't the first Crazy Horse book to be written. No, that's true. Right? I mean, there's... You yeah, know, but many... you did... This is historical fiction. Explain to people historical fiction. Well, um, there there are some pieces that may or may not have happened in the story. Basically, the, the tough part of this book is bridging the gaps, right? You've got the things that you know happened, but you've got to you've got to get from A to B. So Correct. there's some middle ground there you've got to cover that you know that's the fiction part. Okay. There's a couple of scenes just to make it dramatic because it is a story to keep you reading that I had to create uh-huh. that didn't happen. 
But ninety over ninety percent of everything you read in there, those scenes actually happened. Probably ten percent wow. maybe didn't. Huh. And again, there you know the Lakota they, they weren't a writing society. They didn't we didn't write down conversations. They didn't keep journals. So I tried to include every bit of, of you know from interviews of different people that where we actually have dialogue. I tried to include that in and build scenes around that. Yeah. Um, but that, that was the hard historical fiction is you have to put in some things that you made up mm-hmm. basically to get from from point A to point B. Mm, interesting. Good morning, caller. Thanks for joining the program today. What's your name? How can we help you, please? This is Clint. Hey, Clint. Good morning to you. Good morning and morning to your guest. Yeah, good morning, back. Clint. Thanks for calling, man. Yeah, I, I'm really enjoying uh, uh, what you're saying about the Lakota Sioux. Thanks, Clint. You know, I uh, want to ask your guest there. Uh, did you ever interview any of the Parsons uh, uh, here in Bozeman? I did not. Well, I'll have to tell you a story. And they're they're Indian, okay? They're Lakota, I believe. And my best friend when I got out of the service was named Richard Parsons. Dick Parsons was his name. And he was a full-blooded Lakota, I believe. And his dad was Henry Parsons. And I had quite a talk with his dad. Yeah. Henry Parsons' wife worked at the laundry uh, here in Bozeman for years and years until she retired. Wonderful people. But what Henry told me, the uh, Dick's dad told me, that his grandfather and father, he says, all the white men were trying to kill him all the time, and they discriminated against them terribly. Yeah. I was wondering if you could maybe tell some of that side of the story in your I haven't read your book. It's but, a great read. It really is a great read. But uh, what I'm telling you is fact. And so anyway, I'm just uh, a little bit curious. They still discriminate against the Indian, you know, and I don't think that's quite right either. No. What we did here as a nation, the way we took this country, this United States, to me was terrible. You and I didn't do it, and you, Dave. But the thing is, is we took it all by force, and we still we still control it by force. In other words, by the gun. Mm-hmm. In yeah. The, in the end. Yeah. What some of our armies did to some uh, some of the Indians and slaughtered them and stuff. Did you talk about any of that in your book? Um. Yeah. Absolutely. And the, and the book starts at, at the Battle of the Little Bighorn. Okay. I, my book is the last fourteen months of Crazy Horse's life. So okay. it starts at the Little Bighorn. And yeah, it covers the entire history of the you know the Indian Wars and how you know we we came out and we took their land it right sure did. basically and, and Crazy Horse was one of the last holdouts. Him and Sitting Bull were saying, you know what? No, not ever. Am I gonna you know? We're going to die Lakota. We're going to yeah. die Lakota. We're not going to be subjected yeah. to the white man. And uh, Wachecho? Washichu. Washichu. The white man, the Washichu. Yeah. And uh, we're not going to be subjected to them and to their rules and to the president, which they called the great father in the East. Yeah. And, um, you know, he said, this is, um, if once I go into the reservation, I will give up everything that I have lived for from the day I was born and what I'm trying to do. And, and, and Crazy Horse was only 37 when he died. You know, Red Cloud was, was another great warrior in the time who was very famous, Red Cloud, and he, he was about 10 years older than, uh, than Crazy Horse. But it shows in the book uh, that he was very jealous of the popularity and uh, the respect that Crazy Horse had amongst all the Lakota Indians and even outside the Lakota tribes 
he was more revered than 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 Red Cloud and then Spotted Tail. Well, and Sitting Bull was in there too, you know. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Sitting Bull was a was a brave man also. Sitting Bull was also about ten years old, nine years older than uh, than Crazy Horse. And they're they're all in the book. Yeah, this book goes in I'm not just have about. I'm going to get your book. I'm a, I'm a, a, a history buff of Montana anyway. Yes. And I'm going to have to buy your book. Have you got any of their station? You know what? I'm waiting for a, another shipment, actually. I, I went through my first shipment, and the next one's coming. You can get it on Amazon right now. I'm sure glad that you wrote the book, and I'm glad that you're talking about it, and I'm glad that the, that you tell the American people the way the way we treated the Indians. Yes. It, it is, it's, right. it's, it's, it's awful, and I really enjoyed the program. So. Thanks, Clint. Anyway, thank you very much. Yeah, You're thanks, welcome. Clint. Appreciate okay, it, man. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I am always fascinated by the, the history, and I am absolutely absolutely not such a history buff as Dave is, and maybe because my interest has gone more to health, but it doesn't mean that I'm not interested. And I, I really feel that uh, what you did, Crazy Horse, Where My Dead Lie Buried, is giving me a much better insight in the times and I, uh, I'm going to make an effort to come on one of the tours, the Crazy Horse Tours. So you can go to the website, crazyhorsetours.com, and you can read more about how Dave can take you out there and actually walk the walk that uh, be in the area where Crazy Horse and Red Cloud and Spotted Tail and Sitting Bull and, and all these Lakota uh, natives uh, were moving, roaming, living hunting uh where crazy horse died the spot is right there uh the uh the the guardhouse the kind of prison that they wanted to put him in all the way at the last hour of his life um is is there it's still there and you can see the the little bighorn battlefield and the cemetery and dave will take you on that tour and also to the crazy horse memorial that are being built i think it's not a memorial they're carving it out of granite out of the rocks it's yeah. right there, yeah, in the Black Hills. They've already um, been working on it for thirty years. Oh, uh, they've been working on it forever. Yeah, it doesn't. I mean, it doesn't look the the progress is you know slow. It's <laughs> very slow. Uh, I don't know when they'll finish, but it's still just to go there and and see it uh, happening. I've actually got it. You can go there. Uh, you can get when they blast the rock. Yes. They give those away. Oh, so wow. on my writing table, I have a rock um, from Crazy Horse and you know Mountain there. Mm. Uh, which, uh, I don't know, gives a little bit of inspiration. You bet. Uh, but, yeah, we take on these tours, you literally walk in the footsteps of Crazy Horse. You stand where he stood and where he fought, and in the end, yeah, you can stand on the spot where he where he, he got died. stabbed, where he died. It's uh, it's incredible. I uh, I know there's so much more we're going to talk about. It really is. Uh, we're, we're coming again here after a break. First hour is done. Two more hours to go. Uh, Dave was worried he couldn't talk more than 30 minutes. Uh, he already broke his own expectations. So uh, good job, Dave. This went fast. Hey, and I would say you have a voice for radio. Oh, so, thank you. Uh, yeah. Any jobs? Any openings there? I'll, I'll talk to the big boss, to the great father, the great father of the station. Dominic? <laughs> Maybe. Uh, <laughs> that will be a start. <laughs> All right. Uh, we're going to be right back after the break. We have a caller on hold who would like to uh, chime in and maybe ask you a question. Good morning, caller. Thanks for joining the program today. What is your name and how can we help you, please? 
Good morning, Jacobus. This is Linda Oyama. Hey, Linda Oyama. Good morning. Oh, and what a beautiful program. Thank you. And I know you said it's not about healing, but it is about healing. I, I can uh, see that, too. Yeah, yeah, I kind of thought you did. But, you know, and it is so awesome. We need to go back. We have destroyed so many people. Yes. Uh, I shouldn't say us specifically, but those who came before us, um, and some of them were our ancestors that have done a lot of damage. And, you know, honor was held in high regard. It's just like Crazy Horse then wanting to give his name to his son, yes. because that was an honor yes. among those people. And I believe today that we're seeing so much suicide. We have lost honor of our family name. Mm, yes. And it's very destructive. You know, people used to treasure the family name and would always try to hold that family name in high regard. They even had family crests years ago, and I believe in the tribes a lot of that was the same. Now, my father was raised uh, part of his life by the Cree people, okay. and so he had a lot of knowledge about uh, the healing herbs that we could just go out in the yeah, woods and eat off the land and all of that. So we have lost a lot yeah. uh, because we have disassociated ourselves and made these people into lesser people. They mm -hmm. are not. They were super uh, spiritual, and I believe that's why we had to take them down. Oh, wow. That's why... Mm the superior people felt they had to take them down because they were very spiritual. Yeah. They didn't have it in a book and uh, hand it out every Sunday to them, but they walked the land. They knew there was a superpower. There was a, <laughs> a great force, and they respected that. And uh, that is part of our healing that is missing. You know, so I, I'm so glad you're having this kind of conversation today. Thanks. Thank you so much. What a blessing you have been. And thank you, Dave, for your excellent work. Oh, thank this you. That's, that's a great call. It is a great thank call. Thank you. Yeah. Have a great day. I think, bye -bye. I think Dave wants uh, Linda, hold on a second. I think Dave okay. wants to say something to you. Well, I, I, just, I think you've touched on something there. Um, I, I'm with you on the honor part. Uh, remember, you know, back in the day, back in the you know, 1850s, a man's word was everything. It you know, was. if if you didn't if if someone if you were branded as a liar, you you could be oh. basically banished from society, right? Wow. Yes, yeah. you were driven out of You're, the community. Right. Yeah. And we don't have that anymore. I mean, we don't we no. don't you know, it's it's not held in that esteem anymore and I, I think we lost something there. As much as I love modern society with all of our modern things, um, sure. at the core that I, I think that that honor and, and our word meaning something is so important, and I, I think we have lost that, and I think that is why our society is different than, than what it used yeah. to be. Yeah, and I believe it's why our young people are having such a struggle today, you know. There's no honor in the home. The mom and dad, a lot of them are on alcohol or drugs or broken marriages, and, you know, you, you, you can't do the handshake thing and believe in it anymore. Hmm. Good point. Yeah, so, I, I agree with you on that. We well, have to have something that binds us together, mm -hmm. and we've lost that. Mm -hmm. Yes. So honor, honor and respect. 
those are the two big words that keep coming to me for our young people. If we could get that back, we could change a lot of things. Mm, great job. Thank you so much, Linda. All right. Thanks okay. now. You're Have welcome. an awesome day. Appreciate Bye-bye. you as well. Bye-bye. You know, I, I think that uh, w- one of the things that we really did a disservice to the Indians, it wasn't just about taking their land. I mean, that certainly you know, wasn't a good thing. Uh, but I feel like we took away their purpose. You know, we, we took them, we took away their land and we, we forced them onto a reservation. And on this reservation, um, they, they had no purpose. They had no reason to get up every day. When they were free Lakota, they had a reason. They had a purpose. They got up. They, you know, they, they had survived their instincts, right? They, they had to go find meat for the, for the village. Yes. Um, they, they went to war. War was a big part of their culture and it fighting was. the crow and their enemies. Yeah. That Shoshone gave them a reason and, yeah. to get up, a reason to do things. Yeah. Um, you know, for the young, war was so important for the Indians because, you know, the young would grow up and want to become great warriors like Crazy Horse. Yes, and yes. they would want to get honor. She just talked about honor. You know, being brave in battle, that was honorable. Mm-hmm. And so that's what war brought to the Lakota and to the other Indian tribes. And when they went to the reservation, they had none of this. They would, you know, they would just sit around. They just live. And when you look at um, this great uh, Steven Spielberg was part of the documentary, Into the West. If people have never seen it, I don't know where you can get it, but it's called Into the West. And I think it is five DVDs that are uh, the great actors, the wonderful actors. And I don't even know when it was made, maybe in the 90s or something. And so it's not like the last, maybe in the last 20 years, but uh, Steven Spielberg produced it, uh, was one of the producers for sure, but it shows the track of a family all the way from the east to the west and how they encountered different challenges and especially also their interaction with the natives. And in that one, it shows indeed how brutal some of these transactions went. And, and what what Crazy Horse is saying one of the the biggest problems that 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 he expresses in the book is that you cannot trust the white man because every time they make a promise they break it and he said why would i trust him that if i give up and say okay we're moving into the reservation so that because he was responsible for thousands thousands in a tribe at times women and older men and his warriors and and young children and and teenagers and he was he felt so responsible for them and he said if i'm what we have lived for 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 centuries how we have done life how we do things around here to give that up to go into this square box this reservation this area where we really don't have anything how can we maintain our own culture how can we maintain what we have fought for what we what people have died for to uphold uh, that we have suffered through the winters the cold the wet the the lack of food uh, and all of a sudden you go into these reservations and into this show into the west it shows that first they they chased the tatanka away so now the, the the indians didn't have anything to chase 
and and then they start giving them all this sugary food, all this bread, and and completely and different diet. Complete different diet, and then they ration that too. They give you first a bunch of food when you get there, so you stay, and then bit by bit the rations become later and later, and people are still starving while the soldiers are eating really well. But that is one of the reasons why the culture started to become diabetic and why they became weak. They couldn't fight anymore. They were not in the regular tradition. So he he literally said all the all the the a few times in the book you me, you mention the uh, the agreements that were signed between Red Cloud and a few of the white people and the generals and they broke them all they broke everything they said we're going to give you your land that you can stay there and then the next thing you know they take it away again well in one of the first treaties uh, in nineteen I think it was 1951 the Horse Creek Treaty uh, we were supposed to give them 50 years of rations. Right, so we make the eighteen fifty one or eighteen fifty one. Eighteen fifty one. It's the Horse Horse Creek Treaty, and we're, we promised them fifty years of of rations, right, of of feeding them. Yeah, we just a whole generation. And immediately, when Congress gets it, I mean, they sign the agreement, and then when Congress gets it, they ratify it to ten years. They completely change it. Yeah, uh, yeah. We changed every treaty. We we went back on our treaties, and so Crazy Horse. Yeah, that was one of the reasons why he didn't want to surrender because there was no how did he know that we would keep our word that yeah once we go on to the reservation once we surrender you're going to do what you say you're going to do you've never done it before why should i believe you this time and he only ended up going to the reservation because he had no choice no more choice i mean the way you describe that in the book to be there with a tribe in an in an area in a winter that was so horrible, uh, the, the the you said the snow was as high as the ponies. The snow was as high as almost you know like three four feet of snow that they had to travel through, and they would be on the pony. And and one thing that was just brutal. I mean, when people said we are going to leave you, uh, you know, a crazy horse. We're going to leave. We we cannot. I cannot take care of my family anymore there's no food there's nothing nothing to hunt hunger trumped loyalty at that point you bet and exactly and diseases and and, and illness in general and and that he would say he was so upset when they left he would just shoot the pony and then they had to try to walk through that snow well you just know unreal in lakota culture um people followed whoever they chose to follow uh the chiefs didn't run for office you know, they led by bravery. So people said, hey, I want to follow that particular leader because he's brave, he's going to keep me safe, and he's going to keep me fed. Yes. So that's why they followed him. And they could follow anyone. So they could be following one chief today, and they could decide, you know what? I'm done with you. I'm going to move over to this other band, and I'm going to follow this guy because I feel like he's going to keep me safer and with more meat. Right. Well, at one point, Crazy Horse, he's starting to lose his warriors. He's starting to lose his people because they're hungry. They're tired of fighting. They're done. In their hearts, they've surrendered, and they want to go to the reservation. Crazy Horse does not want to do that. No. He is just fierce about this. And so he does what no Lakota leader has ever done. Correct. He tells his people, he he refuses to let them leave the village. Yes. And that's never been done. Yeah. And people are like, what are you doing? You can't do this. Yes. But he was so desperate because he knew 
that if we surrender, the Lakota culture is going to go away. The Lakota is going to die. Yes. Not just physically, but yeah. the culture is going to die. And so that's what he said. There would, be, there would be no culture to defend. There would be nothing left Lakota to defend. That's why I'm keeping you here. But the people, they, they kind of, it made more people want to leave. The minute he told them, you can't leave, now they're like, no, you can't do this. And you mentioned that a few times in the book. It is indeed totally against Lakota tradition that anybody tells anybody what to do, especially a leader doesn't tell somebody what to do. And, and he's, he loses the grip and he starts to make demands and commands and he starts to use force against his own people. Like I he's said, desperate. He, yeah, I mean, they, they beat one of them up in the snow they leave them all bloodied out there and uh, they uh, another one they kill the ponies and they it's like what these people have it's he's losing it in that aspect because he is so desperate to hold on to what they have fought for for so long and the tradition that is out there and it is interesting that in your description of that really harsh last winter that he is in you don't mention much about his father because his father was risen and his father even said when he was about to die I feel that my protector is gone. Crazy horse. I am would friendless. Always, yeah, I'm friendless. Yeah. Because he would always feed us, make sure that we were protected and that we were fed. And so uh, there was this unbelievable. Yeah, what what has gone through these minds of these people? Uh, it's it's very well written in the book. I There's really a appreciate it. Great story. Um, Crazy horse is a young kid. Yeah. Uh, his father went out and had a very prosperous hunt, and he had all this meat. And so Crazy Horse says this little boy goes out into the village and he calls all the people to his, to his teepee. And he invites everybody to come eat on his father's behalf because oh. he was a provider even at a young age. Yes. So the village came to eat on his father's behalf and Crazy Horse had to go to bed hungry that night because there was no food for their family. I see. So even as a young, you know, a young not warrior at that point, but as a, a young kid, he, he had that protector part of him intact. Yes. And so that's why it was so out of character for him later on to tell people, no, you can't leave. And if you leave, I will kill you. Yes. Uh, it was, it was just completely out of character for him. But at that point he's desperate and that's what we do. That's what, that's what brought me to this story. He's a man. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He's a Lakota. And yeah, he's a warrior, but he's a man. He's a human being yes, like all is. of us. And he goes through what we go through. And he was desperate and he was losing people. He didn't know what to do. And he knew that if, if they lost, the Lakota culture was going to die. And he was desperate to hold on to that. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, he, he desperate measures. Yes. And desperate times call for desperate measures. Yes. Uh, one thing that totally amazed me when you were explaining the Battle of Little Bighorn, where Custer's last stand, you were describing how the, the, the natives were nomadic. And you just said, you know, what is all involved with this? I mean, we're reading about Crazy Horse. We hear about uh, uh, touching the clouds. We hear about Little Big Man, Red Cloud, Worm. Uh, we talk about all these no water, uh, Black Shawl, his wife, Black Shawl. But when you all of a sudden put in perspective numbers, numbers that we're talking about, let the listeners know, just give them a glimpse of what we're talking about here. Well, the, the little bighorn, which, by the way, it was called the greasy grass by the Lakota. Uh, because when the, when the grass was wet or something, it would shine. It was like a shiny. Yeah, end. the grass was high next to the river. 
which is the little bighorn. That's what we call it. But they called it the greasy grass. The, the grass, the rangy grass or the prairie grass would grow high, and it would touch the, the bellies of the horses. Oh, that's what it was. And so it would make the, the bellies of the horses look dewy and wet. Ah. And so they would call that the greasy grass. It, it was kind of a greasy look to the bottom of the horses. And so they referred to that as the greasy grass. It's the greasy grass fight in the, in the Lakota culture. And it was, this was not typical. They had all gathered there for war in June of 1876. So it was not typical for there to be, you know, 10,000 Indians in one place at one time. Because, as you mentioned, just the logistics of having so many people. Oh, man. Because, you know, there's about 10,000 Indians at the Little Bighorn. 10,000. 15,000 to 20,000 horses. <laughs> It's unreal. So you can imagine well, just... Well, because you said they had horses for different occasions. I wasn't even thinking about that. Oh, yeah. There was a hunting... You had your hunting horse. Yeah, but they even for the battle, they brought different horses yeah. with them. You had a hunting horse. You had a battle horse. You know, you had, you had a number of horses. Horses were currency for the Lakota. They didn't have money. So horses were the currency of the culture. You would trade horses for different things. Um, if you were going to get married... You might bring your your bride's father horses. It would have been so much easier 36 (laughs) years ago if I had just done that. So horses are a big deal. And they've got, yeah, fifteen to 20,000 horses at the Little Bighorn. So at this point, they're not able to stay in one place for very long. I mean, they're nomadic anyway because they got to move around to hunt. But when you've got a village that big, imagine just the the resources. Besides, you got to feed the horses, right? They're eating up hundreds of acres of prairie grass Unreal. every day yes and then just think about the the resources of the village everybody's got to go to the bathroom yes i mean you got ten thousand people that's a lot of poop how did they do that what, what how did the natives do that in their let's say in the winter time or in in their camps uh, would they go away for, out of the circle or well yeah they... yeah they would they would they would leave the village and and in the winter time their camps were smaller Okay. There's no way they could have a camp this size in the winter. Yes. Because they would they would have to hunker down. Huh. And again, those resources, you can't use the bathroom in the same place the entire winter hmm. with that big of a village. Now, with yes. a smaller village of just a, a couple hundred, it's a different thing. Hmm. Does that make sense? Totally. Totally. I want to continue with that because these numbers give you an idea about the vastness of all, of all what Dave is talking about in his book, uh, Crazy Horse, Where My Dead Lie Buried. Go to crazyhorsetours.com, crazyhorsetours.com on your web and, and learn more. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, more with Dave Wooten. Thanks for listening today. You, you've been to powwows, I'm sure. It's powerful. What, what is it uh, about the, the drumming and the singing with these high-pitched voices, what is it uh, that, what is the, is there a something behind it that it is this, it sounds so intense, but maybe it's a, it's a happy song. This is called Whispering Winds. You know, I, I would say because it comes from the heart, right? Anything yeah. that comes from the heart has a different energy, has a different feel. And I, I think even today for the Lakota that do that, um, it comes from the heart. Mm-hmm. You know, they're singing not just for themselves. They're singing for their their relatives. Yes. They're singing for their grandfathers mm-hmm. uh, and the people no longer with us. And you can still feel that, I think, when you hear it. Are these actually words that they're singing or not? Oh, yeah. I Now, I don't speak Lakota. It's yeah. a tough language. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know what they're saying. I, I don't speak that language. But you can, like you said, I mean, 
you don't speak Lakota either, but you could feel it. It, it yeah. even just hearing a little bit of it resonates with you and mm-hmm. speaks to you, mm-hmm. and uh, it certainly speaks to them. Mm-hmm. But I, I think that you know, again, it, it anything that comes from the heart has that power, has that energy. You have on your website uh, the Crazy Horse Tours. You have a, a video. You have an, an audio with a uh, gentleman by the name of Kingsley Bray. Uh, he has studied the Lakota and the Plains Indians for over 20 years. And his, his book, Crazy Horse, A Lakota Life, is considered one of the defi- definitive books on the life of the Lakota war chief, Crazy Horse. And you asked him uh, if he was going to write another book. And he mentioned that uh, he was and he was going to start writing a book about the natives, I think also the Lakota, uh, in the time before Lewis and Clark. And so he said, and he has found some amazing sources where um, that, that describe that. I don't know if there are is any names that that come to mind in your case for you that you say, oh, so and so lived in that time that we have heard about in history. But I would say that time period, there's probably not that many changes as far as traditions are concerned, unless it is the the horses, the introduction of horses. The horse would be the big one. Uh, the horse changed everything. The horse was a game changer for all of the Indians, not just the Lakota. But, I mean, it was a game changer for us, too. I mean, it, it changed the horse changed the world, like the wheel, yeah. once they started yeah. riding the horse. Um, before the horse came, horses came to the Lakota around the 1700s, early 1700s. Uh, and before that, they used dogs. So they would you know, put their personal belongings on a travoy that was dragged by a dog. And that's how they would move their villages. Yes. And so once they got the horse, I mean, you can load up more on a horse, right? It can, it's, it's bigger. And not only does the horse allow you to, you know, drag more of your household goods that allowed for bigger teepees, right? They, it could carry more. So the teepees got bigger Right. when the teepees got bigger, they started having more babies. They started, oh. the population started to grow, n- not just because of the teepee, but because of hunting. When yes. you can, when you have the horse now, yes. you can move out further. So you sure. can hunt more, you can get more meat. And so the population started to, to grow as well. And so that's when they started moving. Before they got the horse, the Lakota were east of the Missouri, mainly in, in the Minnesota country. Mm, really? um, I think if you go back into the history of the Lakota, way, way back, and, and maybe Kingsley will touch this on this in his book, I think they were even down like in the Florida area, the Georgia yes. area. But well, they were going to move some of these tribes to Florida. They said they were going to move, was it the Cheyenne were going to move to Florida? Well, you're talking about it in my book? Yeah, Oklahoma. Book. Was it Oklahoma? Oklahoma was the Indian Territory. Many of the, the Indians that were in the Florida area, the Seminole, and those, I, I think those actually got moved to Oklahoma too, what they oh, called I the see. Indian Territory. I see. But we're to, when the Lakota were there, I mean, we're talking many, many years ago, but mainly, you know, 1700s, they're in the, in the Minnesota area, and then they get horses about, like I said, early 1700s, and then right around our revolution, around 1776, is when the Lakota started to come west of the of the Missouri and started moving out onto the plains. Hmm. And that's when, you know, Crazy Horse was born about 1840. Yes. But the horse changed everything because so it just made society easier. Right before easier. the 1700s, is that what you say? Uh, early 1700s. Yeah, you, you know. it was brought in by the Europeans. Uh, yeah, I mean, the Span- there were Spanish horses yeah. that came yeah. up from the south. Yeah. 
uh, and it just it was a game changer. Now, one of the things that uh, I've wondered, we, we've often talked about the natives, so we call them the Native Americans, but this is really, uh, where, did the, where did the natives come from? I mean, somehow they came from somewhere, right? And, and, and I understand they come from the Mongolian area or somewhere in, in what we now call the Soviet Russia, that's where they moved across the uh, the, the Bering Bridge. Strait. Yeah, I, I'm guessing a couple of places. You know, way way back, you know, people came here to America that we know it today. You know, through, across the Bering Strait, so they mm-hmm. came that way, and then also probably up through South America, uh, and, and coming up there, and eventually all ended up here. Yeah, you, you crazy horse, as I mentioned a little bit ago, was given the name by his father. And his father's, so his grandfather was also called Crazy Horse. And that so was that Lakota was tradition. That, uh, Lakota tradition, very often they passed on the names. Uh, if they're at a proud moment in the son's life, maybe a big, uh, their first big hunt, yes. first big prosperous hunt, uh, or a big battle. They did yeah. something brave in battle. They would pass on their name to the son. That was, yeah, that was very common. What was the moment for Crazy Horse, the junior that we're talking about here, because he had a daughter with his wife who passed away. They are afraid of her. They are afraid of her, yes. She was about three, four years old. When she died yeah. of a disease, of a cough, yeah. or also lung infection or something. You or know what? Um, they don't really know. Um, they call it a white man's disease. White man's disease. It was very sudden. Yeah. He was off on a raid against the crow yeah. and came back, and she had already died. I mean, there was no indication that and they had already moved on and they had moved on yeah then he he had to go back through enemy territory alone yeah he went back when he found out that his his only daughter had died yeah he risked his life to go back because he wanted to sit with her they they put her on a burial scaffold which was you know lakota tradition about three feet off the ground wrapped her up and uh, he went to find that, and he sat with her for three days and three nights alone. And then he buried her, right? I mean, uh, don't they? No, they what? they would leave. They would leave him on this. The the burial actually came way later. And I, I'm not exactly sure why they switched. So you would but, find bodies on oh, the yeah. battlefield that were just all on these three foot high uh, stilts. It's almost like yeah. uh, branches that stick out of the ground, and then they have like a makeshift kind of a bed or something. When uh, uh, when Custer was coming to the Little Bighorn. Yeah. When he was making his way there in uh, May, uh, they started out May 17th at uh, Fort Lincoln, uh, and they were making their way towards the Little Bighorn, where they believed the Indians would be. Anyway, th- they came across some of the Lakota burial scaffolds, you know, in the wake, because they were following the Lakota. Yes. And when you've got, you know, thousands of people moving, it's pretty apparent you know, you're on their trail. Yes. And so they had desecrated some of these on the way to the little bighorn. And so there's, you know, people speculate it was karma, you know, uh, that came back, that came back to him for desecrating some of these on on his way to find the Lakota. Mm. Yeah. Because there was one moment where you describe, and that is so uh, visual and powerful when he came back over the, the battlefield. It is like maybe eight, nine months later, uh, you you write in your book, uh, Crazy Horse, uh, Where My Dead Lie Buried, you write that as they come over the battlefield, the, the w- w- Wachiku? No, Washichu. I, Washichu. I keep it's forgetting. It's a tough language. It. Because the whole book I'm reading Wasiku, you know, <laughs> so Wasichu. Um, they hastily buried 
their own soldiers and you see a hand sticking out and a boot coming out and a foot coming out because the snow had partly melted the mound and they just put sand over them or dirt over them to bury them with a cross. But then uh, they, well, when, when the weather changes, there's like a hand sticking out of the ground. If you think about it, once at the Little Bighorn, once the Lakota had defeated Custer and, and his men there, um, those that did survive. Now, Custer's unit of about 214 died. Okay. There were two other, you know. So the 7th Cavalry was only about 214. No, men. there was about, there was probably close to 700. Yes. Okay. But Custer had divided his column. So, you know, he had with him a little over 200. There was the Reno column that had a little over 200. And then there was the Benteen column that had, you know, roughly around 200. So he had split his, his you know, the 7th Cavalry up into three different units. So, you know, Custer died on Last Stand Hill there, his men of about 214. So, but there was still Reno and Benteen that lived. So when they buried Custer... They didn't know if the Indians were coming back. They didn't want to hang around. So they didn't take a long time to bury him and stick around because they didn't know what was going to happen. Was Custer originally buried there as well, or was his originally, body taken away? Yes. Yeah, originally they were all buried there, and then they came back, and they, they get the officers they disinterned, and, and they took back um, to different places. Uh, and then the, they did a mass grave of the, the soldiers. Now, Custer was, was, was buried somewhere. They weren't going specifically after him, I think, right? I mean, they knew that he was called Longhair. You're or talking about the Indians? The Indians, did, did they know who Custer was, or did they just know it was the guy with the long hair? Yes, because well, a bunch of them had long hair, I'm sure. Yeah, they, they, knew, they knew Custer, but they did not know he was at the Little Bighorn. They did not know they were fighting Custer. They knew the name, but they didn't know who he was. Yeah, and they called him Longhair. One of the reasons they didn't know it was him, he cut his hair for that. You wouldn't have recognized him. He didn't have long hair at the Little Bighorn. Oh, He shaved his head. Really? Yeah, because when they would go out on those summer campaigns, it was hot. Yeah, sure. So you didn't want long hair. Yeah. So still had his mustache, but yeah, he cut his hair really short. So he, you wouldn't have recognized him as, as Longhair. And was he killed by an arrow or one-on-one fight? He was what shot. They, uh, he was he shot was in shot? the breast, and he was shot in the temple. Oh, wow. Now, there's been speculation that he shoot himself. They don't think he did. They, the evidence doesn't suggest that. He was shot, you know, uh, by someone later. Could have been that, you know, the, the one in the breast killed him, and then later, uh, you know, once they had wiped out all of the soldiers, uh, one of the Indians could have came by and, you know, shot him in the temple. I see. Uh, but, yeah, he had, he had two, two bullet wounds to his person they did not though they did not um desecrate his body they did not scalp him okay they did not do anything to his body they did to many of the other soldiers for whatever reason they left him yes um there's a story that uh there was a cheyenne woman uh, they had a an all a sewing all awl you know the no. that they would use they they pierced sewing his, like a for sewing so- all it's an AWL, you know. Yeah, well, sewing, sewing to sew clothes. Well, yeah, something? I mean, they made okay. their clothes and sure, beads sure, sure. and things like that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, they took that all and they jammed it in his ears and burst his eardrums because they said he didn't hear, he didn't listen. Oh, Costa. Yeah. But again, <laughs> that's one of the stories that is told. But again, they, you know, from most historians don't think that they even knew that they were fighting Custer at the Little Bighorn. It wasn't until later. You know, when word spread out to the to the reservations of what had happened, that they found out, oh, that was long hair that we killed at the greasy grass at the Little Bighorn. Yeah. 
But at the time, yeah, they did not know it. One thing that is amazing to me, there is a moment in the book, and I see all of a sudden the note that I have. They are moving away in that really last cold winter that he was alive. And, um, and all of a sudden, when he is just ready to give up, he's just ready to give up uh, and say, you know what, maybe uh, there is so much disease. His own wife, Black Shawl, is really sick. She's coughing and coughing and coughing. Uh, she probably has some kind of a lung infection at the time. Her arm is swelling up twice the size that it is. You're talking about sub-zero degrees temperature. Uh, these people, are, there is no tents because the snow was so high, so I don't even know where they were sleeping, how they did all that. Did they put tents up? They had lodges. They had their teepees. So, yeah, so they had to lodge, but, yeah. you know, so they did that. And But to be so cold and, and have no food and have this constant pressure of the hundreds, maybe a thousand followers at the time who are all making decisions, are we going to stay, are we going to go, are we going to go to the reservation, et cetera, all of a sudden, Sitting Bull shows up, and it, it, it gives him complete hope. Okay, here it is. Now we have two armies. He shows up with his warriors and, uh, and, and, and followers, and he, you, you hear that he is so excited. Sitting Bull is here. Now we can talk about it. We're going to fight. We're going to fight these uh, Wasichus, uh, the white people. But one question I had for you is, you are describing this unbelievable snowstorm that keeps coming and coming. Snow is coming. Uh, at one point, uh, Sitting Bull is taking off, and he is following him as he moves into this cloud of snow. So till he, he follows him till he can't see him anymore. So he's gone. And then my question is, how did Sitting Bull find him? I mean, he is in the middle of nowhere. He is moving away from the fort. These people are in the middle of nowhere. Well, I mean, obviously, they li- that was their home, right? They lived in that in well, that area. Well, that area, I mean, we're talking about hundreds of miles. Sure. Square miles. But that was their homeland. So, I mean, they, they knew where things were, and they, they had scouts they had sent out to okay. look for him. Um, he had dispatched his scouts out to try to find Sitting Bull. To find Sitting Bull or to find Crazy Horse? No, Sitting Bull was trying to find Crazy Horse. Or, excuse me, Sitting Bull, Sitting Bull was, I got that wrong. Crazy Horse was trying to find Sitting Bull. Yes. Um, because what they he had been separated. Yes. Yeah, they had been separated. And so he wanted he wanted to find Sitting Bull because he knew he had more warriors, and he wanted to relive Old Glory. He was hoping that if Sitting Bull, if they could get reunited, then they could join forces again, and look how it turned out at the Little Bighorn. Yeah, exactly. They can do it again. Yes. And this is, I mean, one of his last hopes. Again, I mean, the, the winter's really bad. They're oh, running boy. out of food. Ugh. People are done. They don't want to fight anymore. He's I'm trying there. to keep his, his people together. And it's kind of a last hope. And so Sitting Bull, he gets him, he, he shows up. I've been to the spot, too, uh, right there. It's where the Tongue River and the and Prairie Dog Creek, it's about five miles outside of Sheridan, Wyoming. Okay. And it's a, it, was a, it was a campsite. It was, um, they would camp there often. So okay. you, you wonder why, how people oh. could find people. Yes. Well, they probably, I mean, I don't know, but back in the day, you know, they, they probably thought you know, they probably camped over here. Because during the winter, very often they would camp at that spot. It sure. was the intersection of two, you know, two the water rivers. sources. Yes. Yeah. So it was a common ground. They knew about it. Anyway, they they reunite at this area, and Crazy Horse is all excited and 
Sitting Bull says, I've, I've come with another plan. That's when Cra- uh, Sitting Bull tells Crazy Horse, I'm going to Canada. I'm going to Canada. I'm done to the fighting. Great, to the grandmother land or Grandmother's something? Grandmother's land is what they called it. Yeah. And he was done fighting, not because he was afraid, but because he could see it. He's like, I, we can't beat them right now. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to the grandmother's land and try to figure it out. And maybe another time we can beat them. But I'm not going to waste my time now, and I'm not going to I'm not going to die trying to fight a losing battle. Mm. So Sitting Bull goes to the to the Canada, the grandmother's land, and he's there about four or five years, and then he ends up again, same thing. He can't keep his people together; right. they're starving, <clears throat> they're running out of food, and people are losing their will to fight. Well, I'm sure the temperatures over there were even more brutal in the winter than over here. The more north you go, sure, it's yeah, and it's, it's still prairie land. You know, there's still mountains. So there is, uh, there is a lot. Uh, I can understand that was a hard way to live. So how long did stay, did Sitting Bull stay up there in Canada? You said five yeah, years? Yeah, it was four to five years. Really? Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. He comes back, I think, 1881. Do the math, five years. He yes. comes back in 1881. Yeah. And it's very similar to Crazy Horse's story. Like I said, the, the people are, are hungry. They're starting to drift away one yes. by one. Yes. And so he's just got a small, basically, family members there. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I we can't do this anymore. And at that point, the the Canadians were ready to kick him out of Canada. Oh, they were they received him. Yeah. Uh, but the the deal was okay. We'll take you into Canada, but you can't use Canada as your staging ground to make raids on America. Okay, you can't go down there to hunt, and you can't you know attack any of the of the white settlers in America, and then retreat back here for safety. I see. And some of the younger warriors, as they got more desperate, started to come across the border and hunt and make raids. Okay. And that's when the Canadians said, you know what, you're not going to be able to stay here. Okay. And that led to his his surrender and eventually coming in to uh, Fort Randall in about 1881. And then he lived about 1890. Yeah, he did. 59 years old. Crazy Horse's father totally respected his son and felt protected and his son was a provider for him and protected him. How did Sitting Bull look at Crazy Horse? Because Red Cloud couldn't stand the fact, Red Cloud, who had been also an amazing warrior and was about nine or ten years older than Sitting than, uh, than Crazy Horse, uh, when he moves towards the reservation, uh, Red Cloud is 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 seething with an, with anger because it's pretty much told that Crazy Horse, with his reputation that he's built, he's probably going to be the new the new guy on the block and probably uh, going to be more inclusive in things that the Wasichu, the white man, the the blue coats, the soldiers are doing. They want him to be more in charge because they feel he has more respect than Red Cloud, but Red Cloud goes like, well, I have fought all these battles. I have been there. I've done all that. Why am I all of a sudden have to take a back seat? So Red Cloud is very important in the in the final chapter of, of uh, 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 Crazy Horse's life. But how did Sitting Bull look at Crazy Horse? Was he respectful? Did he feel, hey, I'm 10 years older. I have done more than you have. What was that relationship? Completely the opposite relationship. They were friends and they were allies. Okay. Uh, and I, I, partly, I think, because they were on the same side. I mean, they were the last two holding out. 
you know, Red Cloud had surrendered and as gone. As far to, as Lakotas are concerned, yeah, the Nespers still were holding out, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm talking about the Lakota here. Lakota, yes. Um, as far as Lakota go, uh, and there was another Lame Deer had another band out. It was a smaller band, and, and they were you know holding out too. Yes, but they were the two uh, Crazy Horse and City Bull were the two big ones. They were on the same side. They were both holding out, and so they were friends and allies in the same fight. Red Cloud had already gone to the to the reservation. And so, you know, he had he had different political aspirations, if you will. Yes, I see that p- political aspiration. And that's in the last you know year of it, last four months of his life, it was all about politics, and that's what led to Crazy Horse's death. I see, I see. Wow. All right, exciting, exciting to talk to you. I I feel like uh, we're there. <laughs> we're there, folks. Uh, stay tuned. We're gonna be right back. Can I just say this? Isn't it fascinating? It, it is to me because I'm a history guy, but and and I don't know if you've ever thought of this or not. But to think about, like, look at the moon at night and think about Crazy Horse looked at that same moon, like that. Yeah. We we have that connection. Christ looked at that same moon. Yeah. Like every famous person in history, you know, has looked at the moon at the sun. Yeah. You know, when you were talking about, I lived in Sheridan, and that's where Crazy Horse lived a lot of his life in that area of northeast Wyoming. Um, you know, those mountains, when you look at the Bighorn Mountains, like he was looking at what I'm looking at on yeah. a day. And I, I, to me, that, that fascinates me. That connects me to all of those people uh, and connects all of us, yes. right? Because we, we look at all that stuff. Yes, so. it does. And uh, Dave is taking people through the area where, where, where Crazy Horse roamed and lived and died. Uh, maybe tell the people a little bit about the Crazy Horse tours first. In fact, we're going to be out at the Little Bighorn tomorrow. Wow. Uh, I'm going to be doing a tour out there. Uh, I go there a lot because it's obviously the closest one. Now, how do people sign up? I mean, do, do you say I'm going to go over that tomorrow. Uh, have people signed up and say we can do it on a Sunday? Um, with these individual tours, people contact me through the website, and yeah. they send me emails and say, hey, I'm interested. You know, how do we do this? Um, what I'm doing mainly on the website right now, I'm setting up a big tour for next summer. Yes. Uh, we're talking like a big tour bus of, you know, 50 to 100 people. Yeah. And and going and starting at the Little Bighorn, we're going to hit Fort Phil Kearney, which is down below Sheridan, Wyoming, and the Fetterman Battlefield. Yeah. That's where uh, 81 white men got wiped out on a ridge of the Bozeman Trail, and Crazy yes. Horse was a part of that. And then there's the nearby fort. And then we'll head over to the Black Hills where the Crazy Horse Memorial is. They're carving his image right there in the mountain. And then right um, south of there uh, is the Red Cloud Agency and what they call Fort Robinson. Now it was called Camp Robinson in Crazy Horse's time. Uh, That's where we'll end the tour. And you literally stand on the spot where he got stabbed and, you know, where he died. Um, it's it's pretty moving. Yeah. How long is the tour? Is it a couple days? It's three days? five days. Five days. Yeah, it's a week. Yeah. It's so a week. You, you walk around and you point at things and, and show people and... Uh, yeah. yeah. We'll, uh, we'll see all of that. And then a lot of these places, you know, have their own, you know, information centers and things. So you can watch, you know, videos and, you know, you go to the Little Bighorn and we'll we'll take you places at the Little Bighorn that, that aren't even on inside the the battlefield there that most tourists see we'll actually show you some things outside of it okay Uh, we'll show in fact we'll start right where the battle of the little bighorn started we'll stand right there which is outside of where what most people see Mm. but once you get inside like i said you go to the information center and they have they have museums in there you can see all of that and um, they show videos and, and things like that so you will show people like you just mentioned the battle of little bighorn where general custer was with his 7th Cavalry, and then you can show people where the other 
soldiers were about all based of that. on that. Oh yeah, that. yeah. And we'll, uh, I mean, we'll drive through where the you know the village, the Lakota village was set up. Yeah. When the when the soldiers came and attacked them and and all of that, it's a God, I love that area. It's just fascinating. And the the thing is, do you feel it? You feel yeah, it? Yeah, you do. I mean, you can. It's a it's solemn ground. I mean, when you're standing on Last Stand Hill, mm-hmm. and they're not buried right there where those those tombstones are but man it's it's powerful to know that this all happened right there and it's quiet winds blowing you know breeze and the thing is what you see today is just about what they looked at probably it's changed a little bit but for the most part i mean you're looking at that ground exactly the way they did and that that again is very moving i think yeah if you see indeed how much space is open and and the few cities that are over there, you sometimes wonder, did the white man have to come in and take all this away? Take give the, it, it almost seemed like they were giving the natives the idea we're gonna not the idea they they just said we're gonna build this whole thing we're gonna build everywhere and they haven't they built a few towns and they could have easily left. You would the natives think. without killing him, they could have lived in that area. Yeah, there's so much. Uh, I I heard I might have heard this on Tom's show last week when I was listening, but they were talking about how you could fit. I think everybody in the world in Texas. Yeah, in the state of Texas, you, everybody seven, would fit. Seven billion people would fit side by side. They could actually fit in Texas and have a little bit of room too. Have room, have room to move. And so, if you think about that, there is a lot of space out there. Yeah. And yeah, back then they're probably would have been a way to let them have an entire land of their own. Yes. and Easily. Let them roam. Let them chase the, the Tatanka. But, again, the, the Tatanka, the buffalo, went away. I mean, we killed them all, right? Check this out. When there was, uh, I wrote down some numbers here. In 1840, that's when Crazy Horse is born. There's yes. 35 million buffalo. Okay? They're everywhere. That's when he's born. Mm-hmm. By the time he dies, there's a few thousand left. And by the turn of the century, there's about 500. How many millions were there? There was there was 35 million. 35 million. Buffalo. Yeah, roaming, you know, America. I mean, they were everywhere. They used to be. They used to say that it would be like a day's ride. You could ride on a horse all day, and never leave the herd. That's how big a, of Tatanka herds of buffalo herds Whoa. there were. And they killed them off for sport, and they also killed them off for hides. And part of it was, too, um, they were killing them off because they knew that was their source of food. So if, if, the, if the army could eliminate their source of food, they would have no, no other recourse but to surrender. Right, but the, the natives used almost every part of the buffalo for, to survive. Yeah, think about it. Their bow, the bowstring, the sinew they would use for the bow, you know, the cups and kettles they would use from parts of the buffalo. Uh, they made kids' toys from the buffalo. Uh-huh. Um, well, the all, hide, obviously. The hide was what they used for the lodges. Really? And to cover, you know, for blankets yes. inside and also for robes. And for themselves in the wintertime. Um, Sometimes they needed two of those around. Because it was so cold, yeah. Oh, God. And they would often, they would turn the hair in. So instead of the hair on the outside, they would turn it when it got really cold. They'd turn the hair in, and that would keep you a little bit warmer with that row. But yeah, they used just about every part of the buffalo that they possibly could. What Obviously, did they do they, with the eyeballs again. Anyway, 
What, uh, was those, those became toys or something? Uh, they would use those, yeah. They could use, they could fashion out toys for play the, the Lakota kids. <laughs> play, <laughs> Maybe play marbles. <laughs> play marbles. That's and part, you know, glue, they, uh, their, their weapons, oh, yeah? know, they used shields. They uh-huh. would use part of the buffalo to, to fashion their shields. Yeah, I mean, that was a prime resource. So yes. when that went away, not only it wasn't just food, it was, it was resources as well. Uh. 522-TALK. Good morning, Cola. Thank you for holding on. What's your name? How can we help you, please? Well, my name is Dustin. Hey, Dustin. And I, too, am a reader of Crazy Horse. Oh, great, Dustin. And I just wanted to call and touch bases. I also went to the book signing, and I can't explain how impressive a book it is. Yeah, it is. You guys are way too nice. Thank you, Dustin, man. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's an experience. Anything for you that stood out in the book that you, when you read it, you said, oh, my goodness. Yeah, I, I, a couple of different things. I mean, I really enjoyed the history, and it, it truly was something that I just, I learned nearly every page, which was absolutely phenomenal. But something that I really enjoyed was how Crazy Horse's relationship with He-Dog was very representative of the overall face of their people. And then also Crazy Horse's faith in himself. Yeah, that's interesting. It was really yeah. deep. I thought it was incredibly fascinating how just toward the end, he slowly became less and less of a presence. Mm-hmm. You're talking about He-Dog? No. Yes. Oh, you're talking about He-Dog became less of a presence? Yes. You know, it, their relationship's interesting because, yeah, at the very end, um, he dog's not there. Like he dog didn't come in to look in on him after he got stabbed. Stabbed, yeah. and because right. you know, right. he's and slowly. I think before that, he kind of he became less and less of a presence. He was not, distancing himself a little bit. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and I just felt like that was very representative of of just what the people were doing. Uh, no, you're absolutely right. And he was his best friend, his cola. Uh, but exactly. slowly, he was. He was distancing himself because he didn't think Crazy Horse was acting towards the white people like he should. Um, not that he was siding with Red Cloud and Little Big Man no, and Spotted no, Tail. No, he didn't. Yeah. No. no, not at all. But he was, you know, he didn't kind of want to be pulled in to the, the same circle as Crazy Horse right. at that time. So, yeah, he was definitely distancing himself towards the end. No question right. about it. Yeah, so that, I just thought that that was always a an interesting gauge throughout the novel. That, to me, remained a little bit of a constant, if you will, yeah. for Crazy Horse. And, you know, he had such a tumultuous life in a way that I thought that was a very good gauge throughout the novel to kind of just see where things were at when it came to Crazy Horse himself. Yeah. Um, so it was, again, this was just it, very, very well done. Thanks, um, man. I appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. The other thing I just quickly wanted to touch on was yeah. how... On the edge, Crazy Horse always was when it came to the white man. Yes. And I think a prime example of that was the misunderstanding in the translation by Frank, was it Gruard? Frank yes. Groward. Groward? Okay. Groward. And I absolutely found that, that to me just seemed to ignite things from there. That, that is really when the ball started rolling. Exactly. In, into the end where, where Crazy Horse knew that he was mis understood in the translation something got lost in translation when right. when when uh, they have to go after the nas pierce 
trying to stop them, bring them into stop the fighting against the white man and also come to the reservation. And, uh, and Crazy Horse has become a scout now for the American army. He said, I'm going to be your scout. And then they tell him, we want you to go out there and, and get the Nez Pierce and fight him. And then in a way he says, um, you know, in the translation it says, I will go fight till no white man is left. And that is not what he, what he said. What he said is, I will go until no more Nez Pierce is left. And with exactly. other words, out there, we're going to bring them in. And there's speculation right. on, did Frank Grauer do that intentionally? That's right. That's to what set him up? Or did he, you know, just get freaked out because it was a contentious, you know, argument they were having? Yes. And he just got nervous and blurted it out and did it wrong. Did it a moment. Yeah. yeah. Um, that was no, the first thing that came to mind when that happened. I just thought, oh, my gosh. Because we, you were just discussing the, the killing of the buffalo, and this really made me realize, or the bison, excuse me, but it really made me realize how much we worked to drive them into the reservation. And, well, I mean, you start by killing their food supply, and, oh, my goodness. Yeah, that was, it was kind of a three-pronged effort, right? We'll, uh, we'll fight them with guns, and we'll try to move them into a certain area that we want to move them into, and then, oh, yeah, we'll take away their, uh, their prime source of food as well, yeah. and eventually they'll have no choice. And, and right. the, uh, the government also knew that they had a finite number of warriors, too. Yes. So, it cost them a lot of money. You, you write in the book, it was, it was very expensive, even though they would replace a dead soldier with three more. But it did cost them a lot of money. They had to feed everybody. They had to bring all the food out there. They, they were, it was expensive for them. And I think that was part of the frustration on the part of the U.S. government. They're like, man, why can't we? There's like 45 million Americans when this is going on. Wow. There's roughly about 25,000 Lakota. And then at this point, in like 1876, they're not fighting 25,000 Lakota. They're only fighting a few thousand between Sitting Bull and Crazy Horse. Yes. So the frustration on the part of the American government is just so they're like, why can't we get these few thousand of Lakota onto the reservation? And so every day they're out there trying to get them. Yeah, it's costing more money, and it's also costing lives because they're losing soldiers. I just the only other comment I have yeah. is just that I really feel like the book inspires us to not only never forget but to do better. Hmm. That's good. Hopefully, we'll always do better. Yeah, and and you know what? One of my big things about this book is I I want to keep the conversation going. Don't they say we're we're doomed to repeat the history we we forget? And so just to have this, just to still be talking about this, I think is important. And so that's why I I hope. I, if if anything, this book will keep the conversation alive. Absolutely. Yeah. So thanks, Dustin. Good stuff. Again, I, I really appreciate Absolutely. that. Thanks You're for reading welcome. the book. Yeah, you bet, Dustin. Bye-bye. There is a question from the text line, and it is, uh, which tribe did they give blankets that had that have smallpox infested in it? Yeah, and... I don't know that they gave them to them intentionally with the smallpox. They traded a lot. You know, down along the Missouri River, they would trade, right? They would trade goods. The Indians would come in, and they would trade a bunch of their goods. That's how they got blankets. That's how they got canvas. They didn't always use buffalo in the 1870s. Sometimes they would have canvas lodges because they would have traded. That's how they got a lot of their weapons and things like that, rifles. they yeah. trade for them. And so at one point... Yeah, they, they got these blankets that somehow had smallpox in them, no. and that killed out a lot of the Lakota. Huh. I don't think the white man necessarily knew that the smallpox were in the blankets and they were using that to try to kill off the Indians, 
But that was one of the concerns of the Indians was always getting a disease from the white man. Mm. That's why they stayed away from them on the on like the Oregon Trail. That's right. You know, at the beginning when these wagons start coming through, they they hold back. They like careful. You don't. You know, the 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 leaders were telling the warriors. Hey, don't intermix because yeah. you don't want to bring their diseases oh, back to our lodges. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they they knew that and they they tried to kind of keep their distance. Hmm. But at, you know, eventually there were just there were so many of the people coming out west that they couldn't they couldn't avoid the white man. But yeah, at one point uh, a bunch of uh, blankets got offloaded uh, off a ship on the Missouri River and got traded into the the hmm. tribes and yeah, they they had a real bad problem with with smallpox. Disease was was Obviously not just a, a thing the Indians had to worry about at that time. The, sure. you know, the white man had to worry about disease as well. Yeah. I, 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 we have to start talking for a moment for those people who have tuned in a little bit late. Dave Wooten is my guest on Gesundheit with Jacobus this morning. We're talking about his book. I highly recommend you get it. It's called Crazy Horse, Where My Dead Lie Buried. It is available on Amazon and at this point easily. You can also go to the website, which is uh, crazyhorsetours.com, $16.75 or $0.95. Cents. It's, uh, it's really inexpensive for an amazing read. I, uh, I highly recommend that you support this this effort. And, and Dave is putting in so much time also taking people to the battlegrounds and uh, that area, the Crazy Horse Tours is all part of it. So check that out on your website and, and learn more. But before we go into the break, Tell people what made Crazy Horse so fierce in battle. He had a vision during his vision quest when he was young. Yeah, I think because he didn't believe he would die in battle. So that made, you know, that helped, right? Because uh, yeah. he did not believe that he would die from guns or arrows on the battlefield. When he was a very young warrior, and all of the young warriors would seek visions when they were young vision uh, quest, from yeah. Wonkan Tonka, you know, the great mystery that would guide them for their lives. And so Crazy Horse had this vision as a young man that said, you're not going to die on the battlefield. You're actually going to die from being held by one of your own. And you're going to die being stabbed by a white man. Yeah. And he even carved that. I've seen the image at Deer You've Medicine Rocks. Yeah, it's amazing. Been right yeah, there. I saw that. At Deer Medicine Rocks, which is in Montana, out okay. there just across the border from Wyoming. He carved it into the side of the little sandstone uh, wall there, and he he thought his whole life he would die from the from the white man. So he, I think he was, I, that helped him in battle because he didn't believe he was gonna you know he was gonna die there. And he and had he like never eight, was. he had like eight horses shot shot out from under him, but and he was never injured in a major way in a battle. Yeah, but he he always thought he was gonna die by being stabbed and in the end he was being held by little big man while he got stabbed by a, a white soldier yeah not a jealous ally that became an enemy almost uh, jealous of the popularity that crazy horse had all these uh, all this time and they used to be good friends too that is just fascinating to fail to have that vision and trust that so much because of your spirituality and just go out and ride in the front of every time going to battle because he doesn't care. He's not going to get killed by guns. And He's, really believed it. Yes, totally true. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. I really wanted to talk this after we just closed out talking about his vision quest, Dave. Good morning to you. His vision that he did as a very, very, very young warrior, he, he had the vision that he was never going to be hurt in battle they wouldn't die in battle, let me say it this way, and but that he would eventually die by a knife 
that and, and while he was being held by one of his own, and that is exactly what happened. You know, it's one thing too to get a vision, right? Um, but it's another thing to live your life honoring that vision, to actually really believe it. Because I, I would think that you know there'd be a big part of you thinking, "Well, okay, I got that vision, but is it really true? Is it really going to happen like that?" Yeah. And and he he completely embraced it and lived his whole life honoring that and thinking that, yeah, that is exactly the way my life is going to go. I guess that's what Dustin was trying to say, the amazing faith that Crazy Horse had in himself. Tremendous amount, yeah. 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 And, and, and responsibility feeling. Uh, for his people. For his people and even for his wife. Um, yeah, absolutely. But and, more for his people than for his wife. And part of it was because his wife would say, you have to take care of the people, don't worry about me. And that was like something that brought it down for him. But if he had to choose, I mean, for a while, he was actually talking about things that would affect his wife. But he realized that his tribe was the most important because he was losing he was losing some of the grip after people started to starve. And he says at one point, too, though, you're my people, too. That's uh, right. So That's he did right. feel, you That's know, responsibility right. to her. But you can imagine... Um, Try to put yourself in the shoes of Crazy Horse. He's got all of these things pulling at him. Yes. You've got a sick wife. Obviously, you're a husband. You're going to want to take care of her. But at that same time, wow, I can't spend the time with you and taking care of you because I've got all these people that I've got to take care of. I've got yes. to feed these people, and we've got yes. no food. Yes. Over here, I've got people wanting to kill me. I got yes. the soldiers trying yes. to kill me, so I got to deal with that. So yes. he had a lot of things coming at him at <laughs> yeah. one time, and then during the last four months of his life, especially like in the last month before he died, he went almost a month without sleep. Oh. So you can imagine how that played in to how it all went down in the end too. He could not sleep; he just had all of this anxiety and all of this pressure, and couldn't get a full night's sleep. So what does that do to you after 15 mm. or 20 days? What kind of decisions are you making? Oh, and what, what, what position are you in to make those decisions? And these are life-threatening decisions that he has to make, and he's not in a, in a place to make them. Yeah. Which, yeah. which may go back to what Dustin was saying about He-Dog distancing, distancing himself. He-Dog was, was Crazy Horse's best friend. He probably saw all of this. He's like, my friend's not right. Yeah. You know, he's not making good decisions right yeah. now. That's what he would say. But was that really true? Because uh, Crazy Horse was making decisions based on what, what he was observing around him. The lies were going on around him, and he didn't speak any English. So he didn't know exactly what the white man was thinking. But that's why he said, I want to go talk to the general. I want to explain myself because once I can talk to the general, I'm sure we clear all this we up. We can figure it out. We can figure it out. And, and meanwhile, uh, He-Dog, his best friend, and even standing, uh, touching the clouds, they were all going, there is something not right. Why is he doing this? Uh, why does he keep resisting? And, uh, but at the same time, he would have these moments where even when they take him over to Fort Robinson, all of a sudden, he just takes off. Everybody starts dozing off. The weather is hot, and they're all sitting, uh, you know, they're all riding, and all the horses, hundreds and hundreds of them. And all of a sudden, he's looking around, and he sees that everybody's kind of dozing off, and he takes his horse, and he just goes over the, over the hill, and they're chasing him. And then he just takes the horse to water and uh, just lets the, let, wants the horse to drink a little bit. And he says, no, I'm coming back. I think that was instinct. Okay. Don't you like, you know, cause they're taking him to Fort Robinson from, and he knew that it was not going to be good. Um, yeah. I mean, he knew he could possibly die. I mean, he yeah. was worried about that. Said goodbye to his wife. And, uh, but yeah. they're taking him to, uh, to camp Robinson there on that last day. And as they're taking him, as you said, 
people were it was after their mid time their midday meal yeah and so people are a little bit lethargic and some are falling asleep and um yeah he goes on ahead but i i think maybe it was instinct like he's looking around and it's like this is my shot yes and then he yes. gets over the other side of the hill and he decides you know what no i'm not going to do this because they're just going to run me down anyway yeah and so he starts watering his horse and they catch up to him but he wasn't right again he didn't i mean I you're slept. a health guy what what happens if you don't sleep for 20 30 days <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> I knew it was going to be a health show at some point. <laughs> uh, that's, that's not a good place to be. No, in. but it is amazing how you describe in the book how lethargic he can be at times. And when they take him to Camp Sheridan, where he is just over there, and they say, no, you got to go back to here, to, to Camp Robinson. And then he is all hunched over, and he is all, like, weak. And they say he almost, like, didn't have much strength in his hand. And, and then all of a sudden, he's still fighting. Again, though, that, that's instinct, I think. His instinct was always to fight. That's what he was. He was a fighter. He was a warrior. <laughs> well, let's get a caller on. Good morning, caller. Thanks for holding on here. What's your name? How can we help you, please? Yeah, hi. My name is Mark. Hey, Mark. Thanks for calling. Yeah, you bet. Hey, a little bit of interesting uh, information. You know, you guys were talking about how come there wasn't any treaties or negotiations to take over just or occupy just certain spots of the the land opposed to taking over the entire land from the different native peoples and the area and such like that. But there yes. was efforts in that regard. If you go to the Southern Plains, the Pernatuku Comanche had treaties with the Germans that settled in the hill country of Texas in Fredericksburg in that area and actually Enchanted Rock, which was the sacred ground of the Pernatuku that had the same significance that the Black Hills had, where the Germans actually provided that as still being land of the Pernatuku, and uh, Pernatuku, in exchange, let the German settlers inhabit the area around the Fredericksburg, and they never raided. They actually traded with one another and had a really good relationship, even though... The, at that time, the Comanche would come down and raid right into San Antonio proper. And so there were those type of uh, cells of interaction between the two different peoples. Same thing with, like, the smallpox. The smallpox actually came from Europe because when we had Middle Ages and smallpox wiped out half of our population, it's the same thing that happened to the Native peoples in America. They were wiped out with the same ferocity that happened in Europe. And those that survived in Europe actually had built up an immune system so that they could actually be carriers, but unknowingly they would transmit that virus to other peoples that had no immune to that. And so the Native Americans were the recipients of that, and actually the uh, smallpox is an Asian-born disease that came with the trades and the Silk Road and all that area, you know, through into Europe. Okay. Sometimes. Are those Indians at, still living in those areas that you're talking about? The Pernatucku and, no, not yeah. in Texas. They, they got moved up. Actually, the Pernatucku or who, Kwana Parker, are, and Kwana Parker ended up in around Fort Sill, Oklahoma, and Kwana Parker was also a senator of the United States out of for Texas. He was uh, 
probably the one of the first Native Americans to be in the U.S. government system. Okay. Yeah, there was a lot. I mean, there was a big faction of people in the East when all this was going on that were pro-Indian. They were trying to figure out a way to assimilate and, and how do we, you know, they called it the Indian problem. But, like, what, what, what do we do with these people that are out on the plains? Again, there's 45 million Americans. There's 25,000 Lakota. What do we do? Uh, so there was, there, the Indians had a lot of advocates in the East, but obviously there were more people on the other side. And what gets betrayed over here is that I, the evil white man, it wasn't that way. Same thing with, like, with the, uh, the slavery and stuff. It wasn't always that way. There were always those that looked at humanity in a just way, opposed to a conquering uh, mentality. Well, I think one of the things we have to be careful about, is, and this doesn't make anything right, just trying to take judgment out of it, is we, we can't look back from today in 2018. Um, we have different sensibilities. That's we have point. different... We look at life differently than they did in 1870 and 1860 and 1850. And so we can't judge it from our perspective of the decisions that they made back then. Again, not saying that's right, that's wrong. It's just the way it is. So, yeah, not keep in mind, okay, and th- I think this is a big point. The Lakota did exactly to the crow what we did to the Lakota. The crow, uh, the Lakota moved the crow off their land. That whole area I'm talking about in Sheridan, Wyoming, and yeah. and Wyoming and yeah. Montana, that used to all be Lakota territory, huh. or uh, uh, crow, excuse, crow, crow territory. territory. And the Lakota, they had more warriors and they had more horses, and they came in and they said, "We want this land. We're moving you out." And that's what we did to the Lakota. Mark, I can tell you really are passionate about this, and you've read a lot about it, and I. I see Dave scratching his head, but how many books am I going to write about all this? But, uh, it's a great I, call. I thank you for your call. We have about 10 minutes left, uh, Mark. There's a few things we want to wrap up about the show. So thanks for the call, and I appreciate your insights. All the best. I think he's right in, in the sense of it's not as simple as we just took over the Indian's land. It's, it's not that simple. There's, no. there's so many more levels to it than that. Well, the uh, like you mentioned, the, the the Lakota themselves were warriors. They they were trained as warriors, so there was fighting, there was killing of other tribes. There was a lot of responsibility too. You mentioned obviously, Crazy Horse was also a family man, and and the way it worked over there that the children had to be raised, and sometimes a man would have there was more women than men, and so sometimes men would have more wives if he could take care of them. Some wives, even Black Shawl, his wife uh, says. When she was so sick, she says, I cannot be really be a wife to you right now for everything that I should be doing as a wife. So you should look at somebody else. And I know there is this girl standing outside the, the tent, and she can, <laughs> she can take care of you. And her name was Nellie. And um, so all of a sudden, he has a second wife. Uh, and so it is, it is a very interesting dynamics. And like you say, if we would look at that right now, we would say, wait a second, there's a couple of things not right over here. But we got to try to invest our thoughts into what was going on in 1877, 1840, 1877. How, Which how is hard for played. us to do because it we didn't hard. live then. Yeah. Yeah. We, we don't know that time. Just like they don't know cell phones and computers. No. You know, so they would make judgments probably on us on some of the decisions we make. Yeah. Um, not knowing that. It's, it's hard. So we got to be careful, I think, always when we we'll look at history that way and, and, and judging people based on our sensibilities today. Yes. It's a completely different yes. time. So the last three months, the, your last chapter, last three or four months of Crazy Horse's life, 
in Dave's book, uh, Crazy Horse, Where My Dad Lie Buried. I highly recommend you get the book and uh, go to his website, crazyhorsetours.com, to get more information. Your last chapter, your real chapter, Killed by, it's 26, it's called Killed by Too Much Talk. And this is what was part of the things we were just talking about with Mark, is there was really just a misunderstanding, misinterpretation, mistranslation, what was going on. People would just talk, 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 and the gossip goes around, and uh, all of a sudden, the fact that Crazy Horse was so revered, he was, people were fear, they were fearing him and respecting him, and they were in awe with him that this man had done so much for the Lakota, and all of a sudden, you see these different Lakota tribes literally go against him because they think oh this is what he wants and like you say he hadn't slept for like 20 days so he was weak he wasn't making that much sense but he was still a very very intelligent deep spiritual person in the way he said things to the general or to the colonel or the captain or the lieutenants uh, he really was in my opinion when he spoke he was very well spoken i think though in the end um one of the reasons people started to distance themselves and we're talking about the regular people not like some of the leaders okay but i i think they saw this in him they they weren't sure of him he was acting he was acting very uncrazy horse like and yeah. that made them nervous and they were afraid they didn't want to get attacked by soldiers anymore and they didn't want to fight the white man anymore and so crazy horse he hasn't slept in 20 30 days there's a lot of pressure coming on, and I think the people are like, hey, I don't, I don't want to be a part of that. Just like we talked about He-Dog earlier, his best friend, I think they're like, hey, I, I'm, I'm moving my lodge. Not because I don't believe in Crazy Horse anymore, but he's making me really nervous right now, yes. and I don't want to be caught up in this, no. so I'm coming over here. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's why he lost a lot of his support at the very end. And then, of course, with the leaders in the, in the different you know tribes or different bands that were there, like Red Cloud and Spotted Tail, it was all about politics. There was they wanted to be they wanted, they to, wanted be, to be recognized uh, by the the uh, the army as the top Indians. Yes, and they didn't like the fact that they had to step aside because Crazy Horse was here. Yeah. Because as Red Cloud, it's my it's my agency. Yeah, it's it's the Red, Red Cloud, Cloud agency, right? That's right. Spotted Tail. It's the Spotted Tail agency. So who are you to be making decisions on what goes on here? This is mine. And this whole time, Crazy Horse was waiting for his own reservation. One of the reasons he came in was because they promised him, again, there's that word promise, they promised him a reservation of his own that they were going to put out in the Powder River country where he was, yeah. where he lived, yeah. uh, and that was where he was going to live on the reservation. How, and, how big would a reservation be, approximately? It's not very big. I mean, it, they would vary, but I mean, when you're talking, when you have an entire area of half of South Dakota... Um, half of Wyoming and parts of Montana, and then you distill that down to a few hundred thousand acres. What does that make you feel like, right? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's, it's pretty small. Yes. It's a small area compared to what they were used to. Right. And again, the reservation represents, before you come to the reservation, you can do whatever you want. I can go there if I want to. Yeah. I can hunt today yeah, if I want yeah, to. Yeah, you make yeah. all your decisions. Yes. When you come to the reservation, those decisions are starting to be taken away from you. Nobody likes that. Nobody wants that. No especially for, for a person who's, who's been in charge of making all the decisions. Hmm. Imagine what that would be like. I mean, just for a regular person coming to the reservation, mm-hmm. imagine what it is like for one of the leaders yeah. when they're suddenly not really a leader anymore. Yeah, totally. 
that's totally. what Sitting Bull really had a rough time when he went to the reservation because it's like you're you're not the guy anymore. I'm you know the agent's telling him I'm calling the shots. Yes, not you. Mm-hmm. They had to lay down the weapons. Yeah, and one thing that Crazy Horse was worried about that they had, would have to cut their hair, but I see a lot of photographs. And it looks like the natives still have a lot of long hair. What was the scoop with the hair? There is braided hair, and there is loose hair, and there is the the pony tails. The ponies' tails were braided and loosened. What what is the symbolism of that? One of the things that happened when the Indians went to the reservation, um, there was a an Indian school in Pennsylvania, Carlisle. It was the Carlisle School in Pennsylvania, and many of the younger Lakota were shipped out to this Indian school. And one of the first things they did, they would cut their hair, they would cut those ponytails off, and they would not let them speak Lakota. They would make them start trying to learn English. It's into the West. It's uh, on that's that, part of that. Yeah, part of yeah. that, yes. Um, Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee. Got to watch that movie. If you like Into the West, Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee. Great okay. movie. Mm-hmm. And there's there's a scene that, that shows this. But, yeah, they, they shipped them off to these schools, the younger Lakota, because they wanted to take the Lakota away. They, they called it Kill the Indian, Save the Man is what they called it. Mm. And so, you know, inside, they, they basically wanted to make the, the Indian like the white man. And as we talked about earlier, when you put someone, when you put them on a reservation, you're taking away their purpose. There's got to be a reason for you to get up in the morning. And when they moved to the reservation, that was all taken away, which yes. is why it was such a sad place. Yes. When you take away anybody's hope, anybody's desire to make a better life for themselves. Yes. It's it's sad. It doesn't work. And Crazy Horse says, I would rather die a Lakota than giving yes. up my traditions and everything I've stood for and fought for and, and I've, what I've lost in all these years that I've been a warrior. I'd rather die right now than that I be submissive to something people who don't understand us and simply put us in a box till the end of days, even though many of them live or several of them live to be 90 I think Red Cloud was 89 when he died. And he was, he, and yeah, he, he was around. They, he dog was like 92. They lived quite a while. Yeah. Um, one of the things that, that Crazy Horse says in my book is while Red Cloud and Spotted Tail chose to basically give up and move to the reservation, uh, and Crazy Horse decided to continue fighting the white man, um, he says, you know, moving to the reservation is to die. Staying out here and resisting the white man and choosing to fight. I'm living. That's that's choosing to live in his mind. Whereas going to the reservation, he's just that's dying. So what? And, and given that choice, what would you do? I'd fight. I want to live because that's all you know, and that's all you feel proud of. And you go like, this is what I need to. Uh, this is what I need to stand for. Wow, Dave, I can't believe we're at the end of the program. Yeah, that went fast. Thank you for having me on. This You're has been so great. welcome. Yes, I wish you all the best with the book. Crazy Horse, Where My Dead Lie Buried. There was a few copies at the Gesundheit Nutrition Center. I don't know if they're still there. There is books coming to the local bookstores, but they're not there yet. Amazon.com. Amazon.com or go to the website Crazy Horse Tours. And maybe if you really like this show, folks, today, uh, sign up. Talk to Dave about going on one of those tours. Give yourself a break for five days and, and learn and live and walk in the area where all this happened that's written in the book. I really appreciate all of you tuning in today. I wish you all the best and a good week. And next week, we'll be back for more of Gesundheit with Jacobus. Uh, Talk to you then.